This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2 2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. We're back. Oh, that was great news yesterday. We've been waiting. When are these turkeys going to get this thing done? Let's start playing some games. I don't care if it's only 60. I need baseball back in my life. And it looks like, cross your fingers, we're going to get that. And we'll have the players reporting on the first. Was it? Well, first off, good afternoon, Commander Cody. How are you? I'm great. I'm with you. Happy to have baseball back. The question is, where were you when you found out Major League Baseball was returning in 2020? I uh, I got out of the pool. So over at my, my club, San Jose Swim and Racket, we have to reserve lanes. You get an hour. So my wife had bought me for my birthday bought me the headphones that you can swim with. And I had downloaded Buster only's podcast, the last two Monday and Tuesday. And while I was swimming in the pool for an hour, I was actually listening to them. And then when I got out to check my phone is when I saw, Oh, thank God. (laughs) They agreed to the protocols and away we go. You know, are the games going to start on the 23rd or the 24th? It doesn't. There's not a definitive date. It's either the 23rd or the 24th, which is a Thursday or Friday. And we don't even know what the schedule looks like. We don't know who the A's are going to be playing for opening day. So We we don't even know for sure it's going to be the AL West and the NL West, right? uh, No, but all indications lead that it will be at the geographic locations. You'll play your division 10 times. And then you'll play the uh, the the geographic so the NL West you play the each team four times. So, so great. So this is this is wonderful. Not only are we in the division with the team that won 107 games, now we get to play against the team that also won 106 games in the LA Dodgers. Uh, and they oh, not to mention they added a former MVP in the offseason to that lineup that was already pretty good the 106 games. All right, we have a a killer show for you today. This is what we got going. 
as I got to get my show sheet running. All right, coming up here at 1.30, we're going to have Thomas Wolf on. You may say, who? He's the author of the book, The Called Shot. Did Babe Ruth and the 1932 World Series at Wrigley Field against the Cubs in Game 3, did he actually call his shot and deliver? And I can't wait to go over Babe Ruth, his numbers for you. They are so astounding. They are so incredible. It's unreal. We will continue to talk about the 1989 World Series with the ace of the staff. The great Dave Stewart will join us at 2 o'clock, A's Hall of Famer. It's a Wednesday, so that means it's a Ray Fossey day. We'll have Ray Fossey on at 2.30. And then Super A's fan from MLB Network and ESPN, Matt Vaskersian will join us. And then really a legend and one of the greatest guys who have ever played the game. Dave Dravecki will join us at 3.30 to to talk about his story. Uh, He was hurt in 1989, and that was the end of his career before he had to have his arm and shoulder amputated uh, after a second surgery and another break. Uh, But truly inspirational. He's a wonderful man, and I can't wait to have him on at 3.30. So Thomas Wolfe at 1.30, Dave Stewart at 2, Ray Fossey at 2.30, Matt Vaskersian at 3, and Dave Dravecki at 3.30. So, as Cody, you asked me, where was I? So, I I get out of the pool, but I listened to Buster, and he's written an article that he published yesterday, and basically he talked about this article on his podcast, Baseball Tonight. And the second paragraph is very good, because the first paragraph is, he says things he can't wait to see. Second paragraph is, here are things I don't understand. Why did it take so long for Major League Baseball and the Players Association to get to this moment when they agreed on just about nothing? Why did the stewards of the game recklessly drag it over the past six weeks? Why is the relationship between the union and Major League Baseball so toxic and unproductive? Why was there such tone deafness to the national and international context? Stuff we've been saying right here on this program. Guys, you're tone deaf. And I just don't understand why the relationship can't be good. I I mean, everybody's making money. Everybody, it's a professional sport. You're living a lifestyle that's unreal. You got guys making generational wealth. Like, why can't you guys get in a room together like adults and hammer out a deal? Because the scary thing is, we're probably going to go through this This winter. I mean, when Trevor Bauer is the guy that's making the most sense, that's when you know you got a problem. When Trevor Bauer's going, hey, owners, players, we're we're driving this sport right off the cliff. And they're going to do it again in the offseason. And Trevor Bauer said, it's only 60 games. Why can't we come to an agreement for 60 games? Is Is it really that hard? You know, in my life, 
I've always wanted to do deals when I've done deals that benefit me and benefit the other party. When I do business, I want I want people walking away from me feeling good. Why don't these two parties understand that? A good deal is a deal that benefits both people. If one party walks away sour about the deal, it's not a good deal. They should be holding hands, singing Kumbaya, realizing, man, what a great sport this is. The sport's making a lot of money. We got TV contracts. We're making money off merchandise. We're making money off the app. We're, make, we're making money everywhere. But at some point, I do understand as owners, do I want to be paying guys $400 million? Here's the problem for the players. And I have an article in my hand that talks about really your best year is at 27, not 32 and 35. So the owners and front office people have figured out, why would I want to pay guys in their 30s? They're not as good. And that's where, you know, we'll talk about this after this season, but that's where for, for, for us to have harmony in the game, you can't wait till a guy's in year seven to make him a free agent. You got to start paying guys earlier, which if I was an owner, I would be cool with. I'd rather pay you when you're good than when you're getting older. I'd rather pay you when you're prime. But I understand. If I was an owner, I'm like, how many of these hundred-plus million-dollar deals ever really work out? You think the Angels are really thrilled about the Albert Pujols contract? You think the Tigers are really thrilled about the uh, Miguel Cabrera contract? How many of these large, monstrous, guaranteed contracts really work? I mean, think about some of the first ones. Kevin Brown signed for whatever, like $115 million with the, with the Dodgers. He didn't stay there the entire time. Mike Hampton getting that big deal with the Rockies. So many of these deals, they don't work out. Why should I have to pay a guy? You know, this is something, Cody, you like to bring up all the time. Mike Trout's getting $435 million. How many times has he been to the World Series? How many World Series has he won? How many playoff games has he won is a better question. The answer would be zero. Zero. I understand he's greatness. He's one of the greatest players of all time, but you're paying a guy a lot of money who's never even won a playoff game. When when is enough enough? A couple other things that are in this article that I think are really good. Uh, Iconic players climbing the leaderboard. Albert Pujols needs four home runs to match Willie Mays. It's a big deal. 41 hits to catch Knapp. Lajouet for 14th place on the all-time list. Justin Verlander, I mean, he might be hurt more than anybody. Because, well, I was thinking about this. As Buster was saying, but when you're when you're listening to a podcast when you're swimming, I'm a, I know most people, I just I saw somebody at the club doing it. I went, wow, that'd be pretty cool. You're listening to music. It's like it's not as boring. I mean, when you're just going up and back and up and back. But you don't even notice it when you're listening to a podcast. It's pretty incredible. 
Uh, so, Holly, if, uh, if you're a swimmer like I am, I highly recommend the Sony Walkman where you can download stuff and uh, listen to it. So, Justin Verlander is at 225 wins. He wants to get to 300, obviously. We'll get back to that in a second. Miguel Cabrera, his next home run will be his 478th. We'll move him past future Hall of Famer Adrian Beltre. So there's there's guys on there's guys that lo- they're losing all time stats. Now, first you think a lost year for Verlander, or will this prolong Verlander's career? There's a lot of mileage on that arm. I can see this both ways. Okay, he loses basically a year. How many starts are you going to get in 60 games if you take the ball once every five days? What's the math? That would be what? 12, you figure, because 12 times 5 is 60. Okay, so you're going to get 12 starts. Will this prolong Verlander's career having this off time to rest his arm? Will this extend him one more year? So he got 12 starts, and okay, maybe now he pitches till he's 43. Will this off time actually benefit him, or will it hurt him? I, you know, as much as I hate Verlander, no man should have everything that he has. It's just not, it's not fair. Supermodel wife, scratch golfer, got a bazillion dollars in the bank. He just, he, Cost us potentially World Series rings. Can't stand the guy. But I did want I did want to see a pursuit for 300 games because Verlander may be the last guy that ever has a shot at it in, in our lifetime. Because no one can go for more than 33 starts. Oh, he can't go more than six innings. A complete game. Oh, no, he's going to get hurt. So Verlander was, you know, I think he's the last guy that's got a shot at it. And I hope this doesn't keep him from being able to do that. How about players? You mentioned one of them. A's have one. Guys are going to be free agents. There's been talk that there's going to be players who say, eh, I'm going to sit this out. George Springer has been brought up. Mookie Betts has been brought up. Uh, I know in our world, Marcus Simeon, but I, I would bet, I'd bet the house. There's, I'm, Marcus Simeon loves playing baseball. Marcus Simeon wants to play every game, every inning. There's no way, Mark. I, I, I literally would be shocked if Marcus Simeon is not playing. But, this is not going to be good for free agents. So the agreement to return doesn't contain any mechanism to protect this winner's free agents. They are certain to get gouged, according to Buster Only. Teams will cling to the youngest players because they are the cheapest, and the long-term obligations to veterans like Mike Trout must be honored so it's the mid-level free agents who will be wrecked. 
Mookie Betts going to get that $300-something million in free agency? I don't think so. I think he's going to stay with the Dodgers now. The more I think about it, I think he stays with L.A., and they try to give him a team-friendly contract so they can resign Bellinger. I don't think he gets it. George Springer is going to be 31 going into next season. That's a guy – I mean, Marcus will be 30 going into into the following season. This might be the only good thing about this pandemic. Is that maybe this is a, a, a a time where we can come to a deal with Marcus Simeon and he doesn't leave as a free agent? We know. I mean, we know he wants to stay. Marcus, I mean, I, I'll tell you the bit. I'll tell you a little side note about the winter meetings. So Marcus Simeon comes to our table there at the Manchester Hyatt down in San Diego at the winter meetings. And I'm, I'm there with Marcus, and we're talking about him re-signing. And his wife was there with their two kids and his agent. And I said to Marcus, you want to stay here. You want to stay in the Bay Area. You want to raise your kids here. And I looked over to his wife, and she was nodding her head up and down. Yes, we do. Mama wants to be in the Bay Area. So hopefully that deal can get done and Marcus Simeon can be here for the rest of his career as he is blossoming into truly one of the best players in the American League. How about the ball? Buster says, is it going to fly like golf balls as it did in 2019 or die on the warning track in 2014? Who are teams that are built for shortened seasons. Teams with roster depth and strong bullpens. He says the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Rays. Shocker that the Rays are on the list. And then towards the end of the article, this is what might lie ahead. High anxiety, accelerated competition, in which a three-game losing streak for any team will border on catastrophe and a three-game winning streak could propel you into first place. Reading this article this morning made me realize my post-game show is going to be far different than it has been in the past. And I've always said that What I like about the East Coast media is they don't let guys skate. They don't let this, you know, it's a a marathon, not a sprint. They they don't allow for that. I remember there was a one year, can't remember what year it was, Boston came in. They got off to a bad start. They started out west. They got off to a bad start. Do you have my panic button ready? Let me look. It's been so long since we've used it, so I have to find out where where I've stashed it. Uh, Gotta have that handy. Okay, I got it. So that one? There we go. Yeah, play it. That was the Boston media after like ten games or whatever it was. They played like ten or twelve games. Big Poppy wasn't hitting. I don't even remember if Manny Ramirez was on the team, but they came into Oakland and their media was panicking. Of course. 
they would go on to make the playoffs. But I appreciated that because I hate this. It's early crap. That's crap. And 2012 taught us. 2012 taught us that every game means something. The Rangers only had to win one more game, and they would have never had to do the wild card game, and the A's wouldn't have won the ALS, which was one of the greatest seasons I've ever seen. Just one more game in May, one more game in June. That's all the Rangers had to win was one more game, and they would have never had to deal with the A's. They wouldn't have gone to the wild card. The A's would have gone to the wild card. So, yes, every game matters. And now with only 60 games, oh, boy, you lose three in a row. Get that panic button ready. The A's lose three in a row. I mean, every loss, it's going to be like football. Every loss, if you're losing, If you're lo- oh, we got, I think we got some breaking news. MLB has just put out. That's a thing about having my phone next to me and and having all these apps send you information. National League teams will use the designated hitter in 2020. They will, and they've just come out with an article on MLB.com. Yep, I already read it and I already have it on the rundown for today. Who's every team's option for the DH? It's interesting who the Dodgers' option is for DH, and it's not who you think it is. Yeah, they got Enrique Hernandez. Yep. What, what about my guy, Jock Peter, Peterson? That's what I mean. How's it not Jock? He had 36 home runs last year. Uh, he didn't hit any of them off lefties, as we broke down his numbers against left-handed hitters before. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting to look at the different guys. Um for some reason, I guess they believe my, my Pirates are going to be the worst team in the National League because they're ranked last, and their DH is going to be Josh Bell. Great. He plays first base, but who cares? They're winning the NL Central, and they're going to make it to the playoffs. I'm calling it right now in the 60-game season. Pirates in the playoffs, book it. So, that that the DH is here to stay. And when I heard the, the players' union – you know, when, when we first – these negotiations have been so all over the board because we thought when they first agreed that there wasn't going to be no DH in the net for National League teams. So, I mean, this thing is so all over the board, it's unbelievable. But the players' union, why wouldn't you want a, D, a universal DH? Because a DH makes money, and it adds more jobs, and it keeps, a lot of times, veterans – in the game. A lot of Hall of Famers have become DHs. Reggie Jackson, Dave Winfield, Paul Mahler, George Brett. I mean, there, there's, a, there's a whole list of guys that stayed in baseball because of being a DH. I just think National League, like, well, I Bonds, could have DH'd if he wasn't blackballed from baseball. Oops, did I say that? Allegedly. I mean, Tony Gwynn could have played longer. I mean, how many great players were National League players if they had the DH? You know, because guys always wanted to stay with one team. I mean, how much longer could guys have played? 
You probably throw Way Manny back, Ramirez Clint. in there too. Who? Man, you can probably throw Manny in there too. Manny Ramirez? Yeah, I'm saying a guy that could just DH later in his career. He was done. I guess I guess the PED test came back and uh, bit him, but he he's a guy that people have thrown around as a guy with along with Bonds are going to DH for a long time. Especially now they're like, bring back Bonds now, he'll do great in the DH. It's like yeah, he's what like 55 years old at maybe. I don't know, he's a cyclist now. I don't know if he's wearing my baseball. Uh, think about guys like Stan Musial. Think about long-time nationally guys that if they would have had the DH, how much longer would they have played? So stop with the, oh, it's not baseball. If anybody tells you that, tell them you have no idea what you're talking about. Every level uses it. High school, junior college, college, minor leagues, America, everywhere. The only the only league that doesn't have is the National League. Every other league. If high school baseball is doing it, come on. Well, those same we're people. Not, we're, we're not going back on that. So it, it's going to be here to stay. You'll get used to it. No double switches. You'll get used to it. And you'll start appreciating as we went through Madison Bumgarner's numbers, as people go, he's a classic example. His numbers are so bad, if he was an actual regular player, he'd be released. You can't be a DH with under 600 OPS for a career. What I say Bumgarner's OPS is for his career? Like, like five, 535? Yeah, it was five-something, yeah. Yeah, you would be released. So stop telling me what a great hitter Madison. Hey, he's got some pop, but – on an everyday basis, he'd be exposed. The same people that are saying that the DH isn't, isn't baseball in the National League are the same Giants fans that are clamoring, sign Puig, sign Puig. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, everyone wants Puig on the team now that there's a DH spot. I, I, I don't understand. That. I would, I'm gonna, we've already talked about this. If Puig signs with the Giants, I'd probably turn on a Giants game to watch him bat and just to see the – Fan, well, well, can't never, let me rephrase it. All the Giants people on Twitter are going crazy when Puig comes up to bat. All the Giants fans on Twitter because they all hated him when he played for the Dodgers and thought he wasn't good, but now they all want him on the Giants. What will be odder? Puig in a Giants uniform or Oral Hershiser in a Giants uniform? Puig. I have to go with Puig. I thought you were going to say Bumgarner and the Diamondbacks. Uniform, it's I'm still going with Puig because everyone, it seems like everyone in the fan base hated him, and now everyone wants uh, wants uh, Farhan to, to sign him. So we'll hey, see. They all hated Oral back in the day. Yeah, he was pretty good. And I remember Oral, you know, Oral came with some juice, and I guess he, Oral was the one guy who could tell Bonds to stick it. You know, Oral's got the World Series ring. Oral's been a Cy Young been the game as a veteran guy. I guess he and Bonds had some clashes, but he was the one guy that could stand up to Bonds because a lot of guys didn't. Coming up next, it's one of the most famous home runs in the history of baseball. The 1932 World Series. Did or did not Babe Ruth call his shot? You'll find out next right here on A's Cast Live. Here's what we want everyone to do. Count all the hugs you haven't given, all the hands you haven't held, all the dinners you didn't share with friends, the trips you haven't taken. Keep track of them. Each one means one less person vulnerable, 
one less person exposed and one step closer to a healthier community. So for now, keep your distance, but don't lose count. We'll have some catching up to do. Kaiser Permanente, thrive. COVID-19 is more than a health crisis. It's a financial crisis for many California families. In this moment, you shouldn't have to worry about keeping the lights on. That's why at PG&E, we want you to know about our programs to reduce bills for customers facing economic hardship, that we've suspended all disconnections because of non-payment, and we can help you save money by using less energy. To learn more, visit safetyactioncenter.pge.com. manager Bob Melvin was on A's Cast Live and explained which Hall of Famer still scares him. We had the Hall of Famer Jack Morris on the show and he came down to where our little set is on the field in Oakland and Cody says he's still scared of Jack Morris. I'm still scared of Jack Morris and I know him really well. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a quick one with Jack Morris. The first first time I caught him uh, was in Tiger Stadium and Jack Percani let off the game and he bunted down the third baseline. Our third baseman threw it away down the right field line. The right fielder went and got it and threw it away to third. He came all the way around to score like a little league home run. First guy of the game. Umpire gives me the ball. I toss it back to Jack and he barehands it. And I'm like, oh God, this is great. Can someone get me out of here? Next thing I know, he pitched eight innings, gave up only the one run. We ended up winning the game, but that was my indoctrination of Jack Morris. So I. I see how Cody feels for sure. To hear the full interview and much more, go to athletics.com slash podcast. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget, with speeds up to a gig, all at xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online at Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. You don't need to understand how available adaptive variable suspension works or how pre-collision cameras detect pedestrians in low light. You don't need to understand any of the craft that went into the Lexus ES to feel it. With outstanding connectivity and standard Lexus Safety System Plus 2.0. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. LSS Plus 2.0 and the pre-collision system with pedestrian detection are not a substitute for safe and attentive driving practices. See owner's manual for additional limitations and details. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. This is Chris Townsend for the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. During these horrific times, people still need to get food, and the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek does deliver. Give them a call at 925-322-8799. That's 925-322-8799. Don't forget, their world-famous chicken pie and also all the other pies that they have you can freeze and have for a long time. So give the pie shop in Walnut Creek a call. You call them at 925-322-8799. You can also get beer, wine, and spirits with your delivery. And you can check out the full menu, chickenpieshopwc.com. That's chickenpieshopwc.com. Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. 
It's one of the most famous home runs in the history of the game. The great Babe Ruth in the 1932 World Series. Did he or did he not actually call his shot at Wrigley Field in game three? Wait till you hear. Now, think about this. Babe Ruth is the biggest star on the planet. Think about how we treat our stars now. Wait till you hear how they were treating him in Chicago. They wouldn't, You wouldn't treat Mike Trout like this, I guarantee you. Here's Thomas Wolf, the author of The Called Shot. Thomas, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about your book today here on Ace Cast Live. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. The Called Shot, one of the most famous home runs of all time. Babe Ruth against the Cubs, 1932 World Series, Wrigley Field. Uh, tell us all about this. Really one of the most famous home runs in the history of the game. Yeah, it certainly certainly is. Uh, I suppose Bobby Thompson's um, shot heard around the world would get some votes as the most famous uh, home run. Uh, but Ruth probably is the most lasting in terms of having iconic value and the way that it sort of connects to our, our culture. Um, well, here's the, the situation. It was, uh, it was game three of the World Series. The Yankees had a 2-0 lead because they'd won both games in New York. And so game three was played at Wrigley Field in Chicago. Uh, Ruth had not done much in the first two games, but he was the center of attention at Wrigley Field. Cubs fans were shouting at him. They threw lemons at him out in the field when he was taking um, fielding practice and batting practice. Uh, and the Cubs players um, were also engaged in taunting and trash talking so that it was quite a scene. 50,000 people were in Wrigley Field, and including the commissioner of baseball, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, the mayor of Chicago, Anton Cermak, and most notably, the governor of New York, Franklin Roosevelt, who was the nominee for president of the Democratic Party, and a huge Yankees fan. Um, so Roosevelt was there to see one of his heroes, Babe Ruth, play. And during the game, uh, the first couple of innings, it went back and forth. The score was tied 4-4, to four, going to the top of the fifth, and Ruth came to bat with one out and nobody on base. And this is the moment. This is the at-bat that's been studied over and over again in terms of what Ruth actually meant and then was able to achieve during the at-bat. He took the first four pitches, two balls and two strikes, didn't swing at any of them. Charlie Ruth was on the mound for the Cubs. During those four pitches, Ruth carried on quite a conversation, back and forth trash talking with the Cubs in the dugout. He pointed his finger at them. He pointed his bat. He waved his arms toward the outfield. There was a lot of, a lot of pointing and a lot of suggestive um, behaviors on Ruth's part about what he was going to do next. And after that fourth pitch that made it a 2-2 count, Ruth turned to the home plate umpire and said, if Ruth puts the next one over, I'm going to hit it out of here. Ruth did push the next pitch over. It was kind of a low curveball, but uh, Ruth got under it, drove it over the fence, over the scoreboard in right center field. It's the longest home run ever hit at Wrigley Field to that point. And he trotted around the bases celebrating. Franklin Roosevelt um, was seated with his son, James Roosevelt. And Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt said, unbelievable, unbelievable. So Ruth had his moment. And then what we have debated for the last 88 years is whether or not Ruth actually called his shot by pointing 
to the specific place the ball landed. And that's the debate. And it really centers on what one means by the term calling one shot. Ruth predicted the home run. I believe that's, that's true. Uh, I don't believe that he necessarily pointed to the exact spot where the ball landed. Okay, what, what, what shocks me here is hearing you talk about they're throwing things at Ruth, at Ruth, they're trash-talking him, the stands, the Cubs. At this point in 1932, he's 37 years old. He's the greatest player to have ever lived. At this point, he's got 41 home runs, 137 RBIs. He hit 341, well over 1,000 OPS. I mean, essentially, that would be like, um, in today's game, throwing stuff at Mike Trout and the other team ragging Mike Trout. Like, what a different game it was back in the 30s. <laughs> That's an excellent point. And certainly the eras are different, and the way that we treat um, players are, are different, both player to player and fans to player. I think that Ruth was such a larger than life figure and invited a lot of that abuse. He wanted to be the center of attention. He really started the debate with the Cubs in games one and two when he called them cheap for not giving Mark Koenig uh, a full share of the World Series money. Koenig had been a Yankee teammate of Ruth uh, back in the 20s. So I think Ruth just loved to create moments. He created moments and then dominated them uh, simply because he loved being on the big stage and he had a big ego and he had the capacity to deliver. Um, it's certainly different than than today. I, the only comparison to contemporary sports I can think of really is Muhammad Ali, um, especially in his younger days when he used to predict a round that he was going to knock an opponent out in. Um, Ruth had that same kind of bravado. And with, with the, the, the Yankees legends, uh, you know, these guys played in the World Series. I mean, you start talking about Mickey Mantle, Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, Yogi Berra. I mean, not did they not only did they star in World Series, but they played in so many of them. That's right. I was actually looking up uh, statistics today on at-bats in the World Series, and the player who has the most at-bats in a World Series is Yogi Berra. Uh, I think Mantle is second, DiMaggio is fourth, Ruth is down the list. Um, he played in uh, three World Series, of course, with the Boston Red Sox in his younger days when he was a pitcher. Um, and then he played in, I believe, uh, four World Series with the Yankees. But uh, he didn't have as many at-bats as, as Mantle, Berra, um, or DiMaggio, for that, not that matter. Ruth is still second on the all-time list for home runs in World Series play. Uh, Mantle, of course, is first. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that. And I, I don't know which years uh, this was, but in back-to-back -back years as a pitcher with the Red Sox, he won like 23 and 24 games. I mean, we've never seen anything like – we have Shoei Otani now, who was a two-way player, but we've never seen anyone with that kind of power, that kind of greatness. I mean, I mean, what Ruth did batting average-wise, the runs scored, the home runs, and the fact he could win 20 games as a pitcher, there's been no one like him ever. You're absolutely right. And his career record as a pitcher was 94 and 46. Um, in 1916, he had nine shutouts, which was at that time a record for a left-handed pitcher. And the truth is, if Ruth had continued as a pitcher and never hit a single home run, he'd be in the Hall of Fame as a pitcher. I mean, he was that good as a pitcher. And, uh, you know, we're, we're fortunate to 
have that kind of bookends to his career that we saw him as a pitcher and see him as a hitter because it really makes the point that he probably is the greatest baseball player of all time, if not the greatest athlete of America in the 20th century. Okay, so what is the actual truth? We've seen the pictures. We've seen the bat pointing out to center field. Did he or did he not truly call his shot? The evidence is about 50-50 in terms of what eyewitnesses saw, in terms of what reporters um, wrote the next day. My own feeling is he pointed and gestured and signaled to the Cubs and to the fans that he was going to hit a home run and then delivered on that promise. I don't think he pointed to the exact spot where where the ball landed, but that's inconclusive because the video we have, the two videotapes that were made, both come from the third base side and don't really give us an angle so that we can see where he's pointing when he sort of extends his right arm um, right before the pitch that he hits out. So I kind of doubt that he actually pointed to the spot where the ball landed, and he never claimed that later in his in his life. Um, but he called a shot in the sense that he predicted a home run, he predicted it on the next pitch, and he delivered. It, it is. It, it's truly amazing. And what a career. One of my favorite stories about him is I think it was the World Series. After they won the World Series, he had like this hotel suite and he called. He had a bunch of obviously um, he was a ladies man and there was a bunch of people in the suite. And he called for a grand piano and had a grand piano uh, sent to his hotel suite. And he got it like that night. It was like the kind of power this guy had back in the 20s and the 30s was pretty amazing. Yeah, he was a, he was a monumental figure and um, his ego had no bounds. And he was a very was a fun loving guy uh, with a winning personality. Um, it's no wonder that people flocked to him. Both players who knew him, you know, always speak, um, you know, admi- admiringly of him as a person as well as as a player, and fans flock to him. I mean, every, everybody loves Babe Ruth. I mean, how, how can you not love love that guy? He had such a great backstory coming, you know, had such a hard time as a kid, grew up in a juvenile home, really, St. Mary's Industrial School for Boys. Uh, just a fantastic sort of American story. And he loved children. You know, like today when you see players snub kids for autographs, this guy was the biggest star of his time, and he always took time to take care of the kids. That's true. Um, I went through hundreds of photographs of, of Ruth to pick the photographs that I was going to include in the book. Um, and there's so many photographs of him with kids, kids just hanging all over him. Um, he was really just a big kid. He was a, he was a kid who grew up in to be a, a man, but um, at heart, he was, he was just a big kid, a big, fun-loving kid. And through right to the end of his life, he always supported kids' baseball and kids' programs for kids, um, raised money for kids. I mean, he was, a, he was a great guy in terms of what he gave back to the game. And when you look at his numbers, which, I, I mean, they're so off the charts, he didn't play in 162-game seasons. That's something that people don't bring up. Uh, players today versus players way back when, they play in more games now and get more opportunities. That's true. Uh, he, he certainly made the most of his opportunities. I think he hit one home run every 12 times he came to the plate. Um, and, of course, you know, he struck out a few times, although if you look at his 
um, lifetime strikeouts, he struck out almost exactly 50% of the time that Reggie Jackson struck, struck out. So um, Ruth didn't strike out that much. In 1932, he only struck out 62 times. Um, so you consider his statistics and the fact that he got the bat on the ball most of the time. Um, it gives you some indication as to just how great a player he was, not only in his era, but how he would have performed in other eras as well. Yeah, I remember uh, being in the Baseball Hall of Fame, and he, you know, he has his own wing. You know, when you have your yeah. own wing at the Baseball Hall of Fame, <laughs> you were a pretty good player. That's right. I've been to the Hall of Fame a number of times for symposiums and a couple of times to do research, and I always wander up to that to that little wing, as you, as you called it, where Ruth is, and I read all the plaques, I read all the information, I, I play the videos. Um, I, you, one really can't get enough of it, um, and anybody who has the opportunity should visit Cooperstown, um, any baseball fan, and plan to spend a couple of days there. That's a wonderful museum. I always ask authors this. What was the thing that most surprised you when you were doing your research? I think two things. One, um, one is the umpires. I was really impressed with the umpires of that era. They were umpiring usually in two-man um, combinations. There were some games that were umpired by three men, but usually it was just two. And because there was so much tension and conflict on the field, those two umpires, or three in some cases, had a lot of responsibility to sort of keep things contained. And there were a lot of fist fights and bench-clearing brawls in 1932. Um, tempers ran hot that, that year. So I was really impressed with the umpires, most of whom had been players, and some of whom were brawlers themselves. And I include a couple of stories in the book about umpires who got into confrontations with, with players. So that's one thing. The other thing I was really impressed by as I was reading the history of 1932, since I wanted the book to be about what was going on in America as well as what was going on in the baseball field. Um, I was really impressed with President um, Hoover, um, very, very bright, capable, hardworking man um, who just happened to be president pretty much at the wrong time in history. Um, I know he's blamed for the Great Depression, stock market crash, um, but the more I read about him, uh, the more impressed I was with his abilities, even though he seemed to be not the right guy at the right time. Well, I can't wait to read the book. Obviously, Babe Ruth is a star of stars and truly one of the great American athletes of all time. So thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it, and good luck with the book. Thank you very much. I appreciated the opportunity to talk. Babe Ruth. Do a deep dive. Go look at his numbers on baseball reference it is pretty incredible all right 60 game season one thing we do know slow starts have been a big part of the a's for the last 20 years so we're going to go through them 1998, they went 26 and 34, missed the playoffs. 1990, they went 31 and 29, missed the playoffs. 2000, they were 33, 27, won the AL West. 
2001, they were 29 and 31 wildcard team. 2002, they were 30 and 30, won the AL West. 2003, 34 and 26, won the AL West. 2004, 36 and 24, missed the playoffs. 2005, they were 24 and 36. I think you will know they didn't miss, they missed the playoffs. 2006, they were 29 and 31, won the AL West. 07, 32 and 28, missed the playoffs. 2008, 33 and 27, missed the playoffs. 2009, 27 and 33, missed the playoffs. 2010, 31 and 29, missed the playoffs. 2011, 27 and 33, missed the playoffs. 2012, the magical year, first 60 games, they were 26 and 34. 2013 was a lot better at 35 and 25, of course, won the division. Uh, 2014, they were hot, 37 and 23, lost in the wild card game. 2015, 23 and 37. 2016, 25 and 35. 2017, 26 and 34. All the all three seasons missed the playoffs. And then the last two years, 2018, 31 and 29. Last year, 30 and 30. I mean, look at that history under Billy Bean. They've basically been under 500 or right about 500 for the majority of the time. Why is that? It's different human beings. It's different managers, different coaches, different players, but the story stays the same. They're slow to get started. And I've asked, and I don't think really anybody's, I I guess the only answer, Cody, I've gotten that I I guess I kind of would buy is that there's always a lot of change. So guys are learning to know each other, but I'm there's change everywhere in baseball. A hundred percent. And if you even look at the thirty and thirty record the A's had last year after sixty games, where they end up going to the Walker game and playing the race, at the sixty game mark, they wouldn't even been a playoff team. The Rangers were better, the uh, the Rays were better, the Red Sox were better. So the A's would have missed the playoffs if you played just sixty games last year. With them will be on the outside looking because Texas won 32 games. The Red Sox had 31 wins. The Indians were 30 and 30. And the White Sox were 29 and 31. All convoluted right there at the 60-game mark. It would have been interesting. So that's why a slow start this year, if you start out one and four, I don't I don't know how to feel after five I'm games. Panicking. <laughs> I'm panicking. That's that's me after the first five games if they're one and four. I mean, there's going to be if they get out to a bad start, I won't be, I won't even be able to sleep. But let's say you start ten and zero, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Yeah, there's no panic button there. I don't know if we have what a if, sound for that. What if you're like the Detroit Tigers of 1984 and you start out 35 and five? I think, I think you're going to win the division. Uh, I I remember someone posted what their record was through sixty games, and I think they had under fifty wins. Uh, I think I have it. I think I have it. Like over the last like decade, the best sixty uh, game stretch in baseball starts. The Dodgers last year were forty one and nineteen. The oh. Reds, the Red Sox, and Yankees were both forty one and nineteen in twenty eighteen. The Red Sox won the World Series. 
2017, the Astros were 42 and 18. They won the World Series. 2016, the Cubs were 42 and 18. They won the World Series. 2015, the Cardinals were 39 and 21. They didn't win the World Series. 2014, the Giants were 39 and 21. They won the World Series. And then it was the Cardinals in 2013 to 39 and 21. Did they win the World Series that year? Who won in 2013? I should know this because I usually go through and know every World Series team. 2000. Oh, it was the Red Sox. 2012, the Dodgers were 38 and 22. They didn't win the World Series. Phillies were 36 and 24 in 2011. Didn't win the World Series. And then the Rays in 2010 were 39 and 21. They were, I think they won the AL, the AL East that year, but they didn't win the World Series. What threw you off is that the Red Sox beat the Cardinals. I knew the, so Car- the Cardinals yeah. were right. in the World Series. With Mike Matheny as their manager. Because I think La Russa retired after they won their last World Series and then Matheny took over. Yeah, they, I remember they lost to uh, – it wasn't Francona then. It was um, – who was their manager in 2013? Charrington was uh, the GM. Uh, the, John, the, the, the guy with the square jaw. John, John Farrell? Yeah. I think he was the manager. Because it wasn't, it wasn't the great Bobby V. Because he was only there Bobby for because remember Bobby was there for a little bit. Uh, yeah, it was John Farrell. Yeah, when they won. Because the one year they had Bobby V, and then he got fired after so many games. Yeah, in t- 2012, Bobby V was 69 and 93, and he was let go, and John Farrell took over. Uh oh, CBS Sports has sent out. Yasiel Puig says he's ready with MLB returning, and the Giants are expected to be players. For the ex-Dodgers outfielder. I think it was Bowden, and Bowden works for CBS. So Bowden's the one that was first put that out yesterday. I, again, we talked about it before we, we played the interview with Thomas Wolf. I, I, I would love to see Puig play for the Giants. Well, Jim Bowden used to be really tight with Bruce Bochy. So that's why he always had Giants information. I don't know if he's tight with Farhan or, or, or a friend of the program, Gabe Kapler. I, I don't know, but well, aren't Sabian, aren't Sabian and Bobby Evans still somehow affiliated? They're still affiliated with the Giants in some part. Maybe they're maybe they're the sources that that's given Bowden this stuff. I think Bobby Evans is just collecting a paycheck at this point and helping grow the, t- the game in Egypt, which is great that he's doing that. Yeah. Well, actually, if you if you think about Farhan and and friend of the well, they're both friends of the program, Kapler and Farhan. Uh, they both uh, had Puig and L.A. when they were there. So there's that connection. Who would have ever thought you would watch Madison Bumgarner in a D-backs uniform pitching to Yasiel Puig in a Giants uniform? Nobody saw that one coming. Uh, that's Again, it's going to be incredible to watch seeing those two guys score off against each other where people would be – the question is if there were fans, would people boo – Bumgarner and cheer Puig at, at Oracle Park. Hey, I, I would take Puig with the A's. Uh, we talked about that. Yeah, I remember we did that whole we did a whole thing on that. Uh, I, I completely agree. Remember when Puig got caught up in 2013? He was incredible. He's still a good power hitter. So is a good arm in the outfield. I mean, let's face it. If somebody gets out to a slow start, how long are you going to go with them? I mean, seriously, if Chris Davis gets out to a slow start, how long you – I mean, if somebody – I mean, I, I don't know how long you can stay with a guy. 
Let him work through it. Well, you got 60 games. If somebody's not playing well, if an outfielder's not playing, and you got an expanded roster, now Puig's probably, I don't know what kind of contract he wants, but, I mean, if Billy and David announced that uh, Yasil Puig is putting on the white shoes, I would not be bummed. Because you're not going to have time for, you know, if someone's not hitting for the first X amount of games, you got to get them out of the lineup. I'm one of those guys that feels that Puig would probably be better for the ace suited in a complete hypothetical world. He'd be better as a guy to play it every day in the outfield because of his arm. And then you can have Canna DH, although Mark played a great center field last year, which none of us saw coming, including the people I did for the scouts I talked to, the scout that went to Marlins and, you know, f- former coaches. When I did the path project on him, I, no one ever saw Mark Cannon playing center field. <laughs> so I could see Puig being a great outfield guy if the A's wanted to sign him, which – Hey, 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 hey. How about how about Cannon center? Ramon Laureano in right? Puig in left? What about that? I, I, I'm I not opposed to that at all. And you can have – if Davis gets out to a slow start, you can have uh, – you can have Cannon DH and get Piscotti in the outfield or have Piscotti DH. There's a lot of interesting options of – no, we're not saying they're going to sign Puig, and it looks like he might sign with the Giants. But in the hypothetical world, we'd love to see, just like we'd love to see Mookie Betts get traded here when Hembo blew our minds with that way earlier last year. Somebody's going to get hurt. I mean, it's just it's it's just a reality. You see guys hammies and certain things at the start of the year because you're not really in your full baseball shape yet. You're going to need depth. And that's what Buster has in his article. The teams that have the most depth are going to be the most dangerous. Over or under 10 games before Aaron Judge or Giancarlo Stanton gets injured. Oh, they're not making it through spring training. <laughs> that's uh, that's a bummer because I actually want to see those two guys play. I know it's 60 games, but those two guys with Garrett Cole and what the Yankees, 60 games, are, I bet you New York would uh, tear itself apart if the Rays won the AL East. It's like, oh, well, it doesn't really count. There's only 60 games. The Rays really didn't win the division. I could just see that happening. I was an East Coast native. I could see how the narrative on the what some of the people on the East Coast would be saying. Hey, let me say something. If the A, you know, if the A's win, I'll take that World Series ring. I don't care how many games. Oh, it's a leg- to me, it's a legitimate title. I know people are like, got to put the asterisk next to it. Next to it, it's like the Spurs in '99 after the strike and the lockout. I'm like, no, no. It's still a legitimate title. They want a, they want a title. If everybody's playing the same amount of games, it is what it is. I mean, who won it in eighty one? That was the Dodgers, right? Yeah, the Over Dodgers. The it was the Dodgers. Yeah. I last time I checked, they all got rings, and we don't sit there and say there should be an asterisk. I heard someone mention yesterday too. I think it was on MLB Network that when they came back from the strike in eighty one. They gave the players like nine days to get ready in spring training where the, you know, now we're going to get like three weeks until the start of the season, July 23rd, 24th. They gave them nine days after two months off to get ready. Yeah. Baseball. Well, how about, how about in the thirties umpires were fighting players? Yeah. uh, Well, baseball, the the growth of baseball throughout the decades has been remarkable. As we learned from when the interview with Thomas Wolf, they were throwing lemons at Babe Ruth. Can you, can you imagine at Oakland where we're throwing lemons at Mike Trout? People would be arrested. What They'd have you on video, and you'd get arrested. In Philly, weren't they throwing batteries at someone? Who, who's, they booed Santa Claus, but they're throwing batteries at someone in an Eagles game. 
They booed Mike, Mike Schmidt. Schmidt. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest third baseman of all time. It's a rough city, Philly. Yeah, Pittsburgh. We're not Pittsburgh. We're not like that in Pittsburgh. We celebrate well, our heroes. Because you guys are Midwest, according to our friend Matt Steinmetz. Yeah, well, and, and Pittsburgh doesn't really have always have in baseball terms. It doesn't always have the celebrities that the Phillies have had over the last thirty or forty years. We've had McCut. The Pirates have had McCutcheon. That's about it. Bonds. So joining us is going to be Dave Stewart. And you think about the year he had resulting in being the World Series MVP. I mean, we got to ask him, like, you're the World Series MVP for your hometown team. I mean, that's that's pretty incredible. I mean, he was on a run where in 1987, he went 20 and 13. 1988, he went 21 and 12. 1989, 21 and 9. And then in 1990, he went 21 and 11. Dave, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland A's. Hey, Chris, how are you? Uh, we're doing wonderful. And I was just talking about your 1989 season, but I always like to tell our audience, three-time World Series champion and all-star, two-time ALCS MVP, World Series MVP, A's Hall of Famer, and, of course, I know me <clears throat> in 1990 winning the Roberto Clemente Award. How have you been? I've been doing okay, man. That's a lot of stuff that you just read off. <laughs> you know, you know, you had a pretty good career, Dave. <laughs> it sure did go fast. I, you know, we're looking back. I mean, it's it's hard to believe. Like, 1989 was a long time ago, but it really wasn't that long of a time. But man, we've been honoring your team, and you were the World Series MVP, and, and I think truly one of the great. One of the greatest, most complete baseball teams of all time. You know what? We had a really good bunch of guys of that 89 team. Uh, actually, all of our teams, 88, 89, 90, 87, um, which was the beginning of it. It was our first 500, uh, first 500 season with uh, Tony La Russa. But, you know, we had some really, really good guys. But um, I must say the, the, the guys that I played with in 89 are, are guys that – um, I will probably remember, and most of them I'll keep friendships with uh, for the rest of my life. You know, one of my favorite stories about <clears throat> you, and we've talked about it on the show, you know, Sandy Koufax showing you the fork ball is one of the great stories. But also another great story about you is being the World Series MVP for your hometown team. I don't even know how many times that's actually happened in the history of baseball. Well, that's that's being in the right place at the right time, and um, somehow God decided that that was the place for me to be and um, gave me the strength to perform the way that I did. And the guys played tremendous played tremendous baseball um, behind me. We were they played great defense uh, the first game uh, and the second game. They scored plenty enough runs um, for me to win a baseball game. And then for me, you know, once you start scoring runs, it, it makes it easier to relax and just settle into what you're doing. So, you know, I don't know how many people have been, been in a position to do that, but I, I feel grateful that, um, you know, I had the opportunity to, to have that happen in my lifetime in my hometown of Oakland. You know, I, I spoke with Dave, uh, Dave Dravecki earlier <clears throat> today, and Dave was just talking about how terrifying the earthquake was and, for all of you guys to have family in the stands and 
you know, he said he was living in Foster City at the time. And, you know, you don't have cell phones. You don't know how your kids are back home. Just what, what was the earthquake like? What, what you remember there at Candlestick Park? Well, I mean, for the first time in my life, I was glad that my family was late uh, because they were notoriously late to any game that I ever pitched in or played in, for that matter. And so they were late, and that put them in a position to not be able to get on the bridge at the time that it collapsed. Um, And so uh, when the actual quake happened, um, I was in the clubhouse, um, as memory serves me, with Ricky and, and Parker and then we were rushed out on the field uh, to be told that there was an earthquake. And, and once we were out there, we could see the light standards swaying back and forth. And you know, there's a sound of, of, of fear that is that you'll never mistake. You can hear it, you know, in, in the seats the, with the families and police officers on the field and the fire department and, and highway patrolmen were on the field trying to usher um, the fans out of the stadium, and it was uh, it's a moment that you'll never forget. And how important was it that you guys went down to Arizona and continued, you know, working on playing games against each other and staying in baseball shape? <clears throat> well, once we knew that the games were going to be continued, um, I, I thought it was a, a great idea, a brilliant idea on Tony's part to get us in, in, in an atmosphere that um, we could concentrate on, on playing the game um, and competing and staying competitive, uh, both physically as well as mentally, because um, you can be physically ready to play, but if your, mental, if your mental aspect is no longer there, then it makes it very, very difficult to compete. Um, he brought us there. We played simulated games. We played against each other. And there's always what you call a sibling rivalry because we were like family. And, and so in these simulated games, we were literally competing against each other. Dennis Eckersley, uh, not that he intentionally did it, uh, came in on Conseco and hit him in the ribs. So it was a con- competitive, it was a competitive uh, atmosphere for us. God, your, your team had so many stars on it. I mean, you guys were like rock stars, you know, thinking about you couldn't enter through the front of the hotel. What, what was it like traveling with these guys? You know, the, 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 quite frankly, Hosey was, was the, he was the band leader. Everybody wanted to, to be around Hosey at that time. Um, but, I mean, we did. I mean, Ricky Henderson, um, who, you know, is a Hall of Famer now, and Dennis is a Hall of Famer. Um, Dave Parker was a one-man show, quite frankly, a comedian and, and charmer and great teammate, family man. I mean, anything you can ask, um, when when we realized, at least for me, when I realized how good we were um, as a team, it didn't necessarily happen at the hotels. It, it happened at the ballpark. Um, people get to the ballparks to watch us take batting practice. And at that time, you know, we would take infield practice and take ground balls. And, and when you've got the other team sitting in their dugout, literally, and I mean, if there's 25 guys on the team, when you've got 15, 16 guys sitting on the bench, watching your team do their work, take infield and do, do ground balls. And you, you have your batting practices watching our our guys do their bullpens. um, You know that you've made a mark in the game. 
And you got I me, mean, my God, he had a bunch <clears> of guys that looked like linebackers and defensive ends on that team. <laughs> well, um, one thing we did do is, you know, we kept ourselves in shape. I know my, my workout regiment was, was really, really uh, well organized. I worked out at that time with a martial arts guy that also worked with our team in spring training, Mac Newton. Um, and Dave Henderson was a, was a big man. Dave Parker has always been a big man. Carney Lantry kept himself in shape, not to mention Jose and, and McGuire. So we were a, a, a really good sized team. Let's put it like this. We weren't running from the fight. <laughs> no, you guys weren't. And, and, and you, know, you start, you know, obviously the earthquake changed everything. You start game one, but then you start game three. And that's obviously something that's that's never going to happen again. But what was that light starting game one and then getting the ball in game three? Well, game one, um, you know, I was, you know, really excited about uh, about that game and, and Tony giving me the opportunity to start that game. Um, all I've ever wanted to do for um, the team and my teammates was to give us the best opportunity to win and, and give us the best foot forward. And so, you know, my focus was on um, pitching, pitching well, and giving us an opportunity to win a game. Then, you know, we had the ten days uh, in between games, and um, I was actually surprised in that one that Tony said, "Hey, we're we're going to just go right back with game one and game two starters," um, because you know Bobby Welch had pitched well that year, Storm Davis had pitched well. I think Bobby had seventeen wins that year. And Storm Davis had 19, and so I was I was kind of surprised, but um, at the same time glad because you know after 10 days, even though we had done the simulated games and then bullpens, that would have been quite a stretch for me to be uh, off the mound. And so I was glad he came back with it, and you know fortunately that pitched well. And obviously there's a rivalry. It's it's two teams that play in the same area. They had some great players. We had Will Clark on our last show. Uh, you know, Kevin Mitchell and our buddy Matt Williams, who was just under Bob Melvin's staff. I mean, they had a lot of firepower. They had a very good team, but you swept them. How great was it just to sweep them? No, we, we played them well. Um, starting in spring training, we played them very, very well. Um, we had just come off of the 88 season and losing in the World Series to uh, the Dodgers, and that was totally unexpected. And Quite frankly, it was painful um, starting from the first game, and so you know we made a we made a promise to ourselves uh, that when we came back in that '89 season, we were going to do everything that we could uh, to play up to the level uh, that we were as a baseball team, and so it started in spring training with Tony um, um, letting us know that this is how he wanted things done and this is how we were going to do things and. And then we we followed his cue and, um, you know, playing the Giants in spring training, we beat them a lot. Um, And we faced them just before spring training ended. And and they um, had a a pretty healthy lead off of us. Um, And I believe it was to the tune of nine to one going into the late innings. And we ended up coming back to win that game. And so we felt that we would play them well. And we felt that we had the edge on them uh, based on how we played them in spring training. How key was it, Tony Larusa, the way he managed people and he managed the egos? How key was that for this team? Well, that may be the biggest thing that he did, and you know, he he'll always 
say that he was a push button manager, just make the lineup and then let the players play. But um, that is that is far from the truth. Um, it is difficult when you have the personalities. When you got Ricky, you've got a Canseco. Um, when you've got Parker, you've got Eck, you've got myself, Dave Henderson. We're all a part of it. And I wouldn't say that we're big ego guys, but um, Tony had a system that I thought worked well. Um, and we had the depth on our bench for him to be able to do it. You know, when you're giving guys a day off and explaining to them why you're giving them a day off and everybody wants to play every day. And so, and, and guys can, can stick their chest out, you know, when they, when, when Tony comes to them a day before and says, Hey, you're not playing tomorrow. Or if somebody gets hurt and you've given them a day off to be able to manage that guy that now is expecting the day off. And all of a sudden he's got to play because somebody's gotten hurt and they can't play. So mixing and maneuvering that around, and that's not that's not the only part of it. I mean, it's it's also keeping guys ready to play and knowing what buttons to push, um, and when to push it um, to to keep guys alert and keep them ready and keep them motivated during the course of the year. And he was the best at that. Well, I, I know how special it was to get Ricky Henderson back for your <clears throat> ball club and also you because of your great relationship with him. And then I think years later you both end up in Toronto and win another World Series. Well, I, I got to tell you, um, you know, we were, we were, we go back to Babe Ruth baseball um, in the Bay competing against each other mostly. And, and then, um, you know, we played against each other through the minor leagues um, and then having the opportunity to, to reunite and play together in Oakland was, I mean, for, for me, I, I was very excited about that. Ricky, young um you knew that he was going to be something special in whichever the two sports that he decided to play whether it was going to be football or whether it was going to be baseball you knew it was going to be something special um and now by 89 you can see that he's having a hall of fame type career and um it for me was a it was a privilege to play with him, but even more importantly, it's like watching a highlight every day when he's on the baseball field, watching the things that he would do, listening to him talk about the things that he would do and and, and go out and get those things done. And so having an opportunity to play with him again in Toronto when we're, when we're making another run for another ring, um, I thought was even that much more special. And Pat Gillick uh, came to me at the time and asked me my thoughts on Ricky and what kind of a teammate he would be. And obviously I gave him um, as high a, a grade as you can give a player. And then shortly after we, we, we got him and um, he was impactful with our team as well there. Yeah. You had four hall of famers on that team. And I think it's uh, one of the great home runs of all time, the walk-off home run by Joe Carter. And Joe Carter should be a hall of famer as well. Um, I thought for sure in last year's ballot, he was going to go in um, under the Veterans Committee, I mean, when you've driven in 100 runs as many times as he has uh, through his career, and you watch his work ethic and you see how he goes about the game and how he plays the game and what kind of teammate he is, which is the most important thing to me. I've had some very talented teammates um, that weren't good teammates. Joe Carter was a great teammate, cared about his players, shared his knowledge, anything that he would pick up on the field. Um, he would give to his teammates, and that's what made that team a good team. Robbie Alomar, Paul Olerud, Jack Morris. I mean, we we had 
some great guys on that team, and and that's what it takes to win. Um, similar to our 88, 89, and 90 teams, um, we had great guys, great guys that were motivated and had the same goals. Let, let's end on this. One of, the, one of the things I always like talking about about your career is that you've done basically everything in the game. You've run a franchise. You've, you've been a pitching coach. <laughs> you were a great player. Um, so with all that knowledge about the game, what do you think a 60-game season is going to be like for all for, for everybody involved? Well, what I can tell you is if you don't get out of the gate, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. Um, a 60-game schedule is not a marathon. It's a sprint. And, and so you've got to come out the gate, out of the gate prepared and ready to play. You know, hopefully the, the pitchers have been getting their work in and the hitters have somehow found a way to, to see some live batting, some live pitching um, through the periods that they've been off. And then you're going to get about a two- or three-week period before you start games. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it's – I'm kind of excited to see how this thing works out. Um, but uh, 60 games, um, in my opinion, is no indication of what a season should be. But under the circumstances, I'm glad that baseball is back. No doubt about it. It's always an honor to have you on the program. Be well, be safe, and hopefully we'll get to see each other at some point during this season. Without a doubt. Thanks for having me on. The great Dave Stewart right here on A's Cast Live. How about that, Commander? Uh, it's always it's always great to have Stu on because he has great insight, and you know people love him for his time with the A's, being an Oakland guy. It's great. Uh, the The Kofax stuff is always my favorite. When he told us that, and we found that out, oh, that was so good. It was like, wow, you learned uh, you learned that pitch from uh, arguably one of the greatest pitchers ever, and it, it helped change his career around. And you know, and we know how close he is with Ricky, which is, you know, which is well documented. And 41 years ago today, Ricky Henderson made his MLB debut in a doubleheader versus the Texas Rangers. Game one, he goes two for four with the steal. Go figure, he has a stolen base. Uh, second game wasn't too kind to Ricky. He was 0 for 4, but that's not the point. The point is a 20-year-old Ricky Henderson debuted 41 years ago today. I'm sure he could probably steal some bases at eight. I believe he's 61. Oh, no, he's in such great shape. He could – I. And if you ask him, do you want to play? I bet he would play. Yeah. <laughs> this ad, this ad. Let, let's go around the diamond for this uh, Toronto Blue Jays World Series championship team. Look at this lineup. Pat Borders behind the dish. John Olerud at first. Hall of Famer Roberto Alomar at second. Tony Fernandez at short. The man who's now running the minor league system for the A's. Stanford great Ed Sprague at third. Ricky Henderson in left field, Devon White in center. He was fantastic. Joe Carter in right, and Hall of Famer Paul Molitor is the DH. Is that a good lineup? It's pretty solid. Uh, and who was our who was our pitching staff that year? Uh, that would be Hall of Famer Jack Morris, <laughs> uh, Dave Stewart, Al Leiter, Pat Hinkin, and uh, Juan Guzman. And Todd Stoudemire was there, too. Jack Morris, who Bob Melvin, like myself, is still afraid of. As we found out last week. or Yeah, last week when Bob said he's still intimidated by Jack Morris. Jack Morris was 38 in that World Series. I'll never, I'll never forget that. We always talk about that, that, game, that game with him and Smoltz in the World Series in 91. Just incredible. I, Dwayne Ward was their closer. 
He had that fastball slider combination. He had 45 saves. I mean, this 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 team, I mean, it's impressive. It really is impressive. Uh, looking back. And because nobody thinks, like, off the top of your head, you go, who are the great teams since you've been watching baseball? Not many people go, oh, the Toronto Blue Jays. They went back-to-back World Series. You know, the year before, their DH was Dave Winfield, Hall of Famer. They had a lot of Hall of Famers play on those two teams. Yeah, if you ask me who's a good team since I've been watching baseball that no one thinks of, I'm going to go right to the 03 Marlins. Like, you know, no one rem- like no one thinks of a great team as the 03 Marlins, but that was when Miguel Cabrera was really, really young and skinny before Roxy got to know him. Uh, that's the running joke if no one knows it. But they won 91 games there. They won the World Series over the Yankees, who it seems like the Yankees are in the World Series every year. You had Mike Lowell. You had Dontrell Willis, Luis Castillo, Pudge, Josh Beckett. Uh, Juan Pierre, who was a great leadoff hitter, they were stacked. They had a great team that year. Brad Penny was on there throwing, you know, heat out of the out of the. You, know, you would never think that a guy like him, because I remember he'd throw like in the you know like mid to upper nineties, and he started that All Star game. He's throwing like a hundred. I'm like, I didn't know this guy threw that hard. Yeah, I look at uh, the '92 Blue Jays. Now your third baseman's Kelly Gruber. He was really good. Candy Maldonado was your left fielder. And Dave Winfield, how about this? Dave Winfield, at the age of 40, 26 jacks, 108 RBIs, and an 867 OPS at the age of 40. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. And Joe Carter, I, I just pulled up the roster. Joe Carter hit 34 homers, drove in 119. You got John Olerud, who's who was he's not a Hall of Famer, but he's Hall of really good. Uh, Jeff Kent was on that team at age twenty four. Yeah. <laughs> like they they were good. And remember, a couple of years prior, they had uh, Fred McGriff, David Wells. So they have they've had guys go through there. David Wells was actually they show uh, on the on, roster, but he didn't pick on the on the staff at thirty four years old. San Jose's own Dave Steeb, Jack Morris, the lefty Jimmy Key. Juan Guzman and Todd Stoudemire. And that's when they had Hinky and Tom Hinky and Dwayne Ward, where they you basically had two closers. Yeah, I'm looking because even David Cohn's on that. David Cohn's on here. David Wells is on there. Uh, wasn't Steve? I won't. I won't stand for this. Wasn't Steve from Morgan Hill? I, as a former Morgan Hill resident, I will not let you slander and steal the one guy I know professionally that played played in the town I used to live in. Let's see. Um, he went to San Jose City College. Uh huh. Born in Santa Ana, but someone said more. I I couldn't re- recall. Someone told us on this program last week that Steve was from Morgan Hill. Maybe it was Buck Martinez. I don't know, but I, either way, that Blue Jays team was very good. It didn't say where he went to high school. His w- Wikipedia page. Uh, it's, it usually says on Baseball Reference. I'm pulling it up. It doesn't even say his high school team on Baseball Reference. It's weird because he was drafted out of college. So Google search Dave Steve High School. <laughs> the seven-time All-Star. Oh. The American League ERA leader. He went to Oak Grove, which is in San Jose. I, I told you he's a San Jose guy. Buck Martinez told us Morgan Hill, and Buck's a Northern California guy, but I guess he got – I guess he got – uh, I guess he got he's Morgan Sacramento. Hill. <laughs> he's, he's a Sacramento guy. Oak Grove's produced a lot of good athletes. The great Tim Ryan's from there. Andre Carter. I know a lot of people that, that want to Oak Grove. You you have, you have some good Oak Grove knowledge. Well, I mean, 
in my previous relationship when I was married, my my uh, ex's um, uncle was one of the greatest basketball players ever played at Oak Grove. His name's on the like they banners and the gym on him and everything. Just a six five dude in the seventies was really good. And then her little cousin graduated from there. He played basketball, so I got to know a lot about Oak Grove over the years. All right, I, I do want to get into the uh, storylines. Ray Fossey's coming up here, um, but the the sixty storylines of twenty twenty, which is the biggest? Because I. I, I I, you know, the universal DH is pretty big. I think that's a storyline. I think the baseball, what it's going to be, it's a, it's a, was this an, yeah, it's an ESPN article. You can go check it out. The top 60 stories, Otani getting back on the mound. I'm interested in that. Uh, Bumgarner as a uh, D back. Yeah. How does Garrett Cole factor in New York? Does Mookie Betts play? I do, can you imagine not playing? They have the Astros here, but the Astros, Cody, there's going to be no fans in the stands, so what does it matter? Yeah, and they're still favored in the uh, – we were talking about earlier before the show, the, in the World Series odds. They're still favored. They have the Astros at 12-1. to 1. That's only behind the Yankees and Dodgers in the World Series. That's the the uh, Superbook in Vegas, the Westgate Superbook. They have uh, Dodgers, Yankees, Astros, and then it's it goes on the list. The A's are at 20-1. to 1 to win the World Series. But, yeah, the the Astros is interesting because you mentioned Verlander and his health. you got Granke and his health. Like, how, how's that going to help them? Is George Springer going to play because he's a free agent? Uh, what's uh, what's Jordan Alvarez, the guy anointed as the guy that's going to break the home run record? What's he going to – how's he going to look in year two as pretty much a DH only because he's really bad in the outfield? Uh, there's a lot of storylines. The one I like, what about Jacob DeGrom going for three in a row? That's a, I like that one. Was this article written before we found out the trading deadline is going to be on the 31st? Yeah, uh, Schoenfeld wrote this yesterday. I saw it yesterday morning. So it would have been because we found out last night that the trade deadline is going to be August 31st. So instead of pushing yeah, it, it's going to be pushed back be. a month. How many salary dumps are we going to see this year? Uh, that could end up being the number one story. Now, right now, the number one story, it's Mookie Betts in a Dodgers uniform or whether he's even in a Dodgers uniform. But, you know, there's going to be teams that are going to try and save money. How many salary dumps will we see before August 31st? I'm just trying to and think of guys that are, that are like, that could get their, like, not that they're free agents, but guys they could just dump because you're only getting them for, what, like 30 days, essentially, because of the trade deadline and then the season's over. Like, so who... I'm just trying to like process like yeah maybe some of the guys that are free agents you could there's no way the Astros move Springer if he even plays Mookie Betts if he even plays or the Dodgers don't move him but you're right I, could, I I'm interested to see what kind of moves like that are made especially guys that are either free agents or ah, I don't want that contract anymore let's try to move them can I give you one let's hear it Nolan Arenado okay yeah that's up yeah he still has what. How many years left on that deal? Like 230-something million, but seven and years. Not, and they did not have a fun off season together. No, not at all. All right, coming up next, the great Ray Fossey right here on A's Cast Live.
Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. Former 20-game winner and member of the Big Three, Tim Hudson was on A's Cast Live and looked back on his time playing for the A's. Oh, it was unbelievable. I mean, it was, you know, obviously my first chance to, to have a have an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues. And, you know, I, I couldn't have gotten into, a, you know, drafted into a better situation with an organization that was going to give young guys opportunities to, to get to the big leagues, opportunities to get their feet wet, you know, and, and playing for a manager like Art Howe was, was the perfect scenario for not only me, but, any, you know, all, all the younger guys guys that came up through our organization you know it was a lot of fun we had a great time you know learning how to be big leaguers together you know it was it was truly a, a, a special span of about five or six years for us I feel like I still feel like there was a couple years that we were the best team in baseball we just couldn't quite get past the, the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Twins a couple of times but you know you look back and you know up and down those rosters and you look at the names and it's like man you scratch your head how how in the world did we not win a World Series with with, with that bunch? You know, it was it was a, it was a special group. That was always a you know a special time in my life, and and uh, I look back on it now, and you know, it puts a spot. To hear the full interview and much more, go to athletics.com/podcasts. COVID nineteen is more than a health crisis; it's a financial crisis for many California families. In this moment, you shouldn't have to worry about keeping the lights on. That's why at PG&E, we want you to know about our programs to reduce bills for customers facing economic hardship, that we've suspended all disconnections because of non-payment, and we can help you save money by using less energy. To learn more, visit safetyactioncenter.pge.com. Where will you go first? Will it be familiar streets? or perhaps unknown roads. Wherever you may go, Lexus will welcome you back with exceptional offers on exceptional vehicles. Find out all the ways a Lexus can be yours at Lexus.com. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Here's what we want everyone to do. Count all the hugs you haven't given, all the hands you haven't held, all the dinners you didn't share with friends, the trips you haven't taken. Keep track of them. Each one means one less person vulnerable, one less person exposed, and one step closer to a healthier community. So for now, keep your distance, but don't lose count. We'll have some catching up to do. Kaiser Permanente. Thrive. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget, with speeds up to a gig, all at Xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online. At Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Hi, I'm Kathy Adams, president of the Oakland African American Chamber of Commerce. As the impact of COVID-19 grows, OAACC believes it is important that the African-American community hears directly from us in regards to mitigation efforts you may enact it to reduce the risk 
to your family and loved ones. Recent data reveals African-Americans are dying from COVID-19 at disproportionate rates than other groups. Experts cite diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and lung disease as factors. It is imperative that we institute safeguard measures listed on the OAACC website. We will be conducting virtual forums with African-American experts sharing how we must conduct ourselves during this pandemic. OAACC has taken up the mantle to be caretakers for our community. Visit us at OAACC.org. Hi, this is Ramon Laureano. And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the And you're listening to Ace Cast, your 24-7 destination for Ace Baseball. All right, fire up the open. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on Ace Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Ray, how are you? I am doing well, Tony. How are you and Cody doing on this fine day when we have some great news? Isn't that great? Oh, I, I, I mean, seriously, I, I, I was pulling my hair out. I mean, at some point, <laughs> you're like looking around, going, "Boys, we got to get to playing baseball here. This is being, this is ridiculous." And basically, they didn't really agree on anything. So we could have had baseball already. We we could have had that July four start. I, Ray, why why can't why can't the commissioner and the players union why can't they come together? Why is there so much so much animosity? I mean, we have we have this great sport. Everybody's making a lot of money. I just don't get it. Tony, personally, I think a couple of things. Uh, number one, the CBA collective bargain agreement expires at the end of the twenty one season, December. We know that. So posturing for that, I I, I say. Forget about that. This is a, a different type of a year. And, and you know, as we've talked before, I think it's something that you really have to look at 2020, everything that's happening in the world, not just the, the U.S. of A., but the world. And you have to look at it as something that's just hopefully this year. Worry about the CBA expiring at the end of 21 at that point. Don't do that now. And I think what to, to me, the biggest thing is that the the fact that the emails and text messages you, you know that last week that tony clark and uh commissioner rob man for the two sides got together face to face and there was some talk that there had come come to an agreement and, and you know we, we always say that if you can go face to face with somebody it's going to be a lot better than if you're trying to do it because you don't know what kind of emotion is involved when you're texting or emailing so uh, i think that's one of the biggest things because in the past and, you know, fortunately, there's not been a work stoppage, and this is not considered that, considering what is happening with, with the virus, but since 1994. And you, you think prior to that, and I know I was part of the bat in the, in the past when I was a player representative, it was done face-to-face because there was not that much social media. So, you know, hopefully between now and going forward, that can be done because I think more can be accomplished if you're doing it face-to-face. But I, I just think that if you look at what now has transpired and, you know, let's hope and pray that the virus doesn't kick up and, uh, you know, put a halt to it. If it does, then we have to deal with that. But 
I agree with you. We could have been starting baseball on America's birthday that week. That would have been special for all of baseball, the country, but it's not going to happen, unfortunately. And, but at least they're going to be back in spring training effective July the 1st, and we'll have baseball at least 60 games and, and hopefully it will carry forward into postseason and we'll see what happens. Well, every win is going to seem that much bigger <laughs> and every loss is going to seem it's going to be like death when you lose three or four games in a row. Oh, my God, Ray. Tony, I would think of the same thing. Of course, all the writers are looking at various teams and where they were, uh, you know, this time last year or if they played 60 games where they were. The Nationals wouldn't even have been in postseason. And, you know, it, it does take away from the fact that it's a marathon of 162 games. But you again in the postseason, again, as we've talked about, and this is comparable to that because you get off to a bad start you don't have a lot of time to make it up to get back into the swing of things. I think that goes from the personal standpoint of the players, but also more than anything from the team standpoint. Now, I look at the A's with their five starters. I, I think that's going to be exceptional because if you do the math, each one can have 12 starts, assuming they're healthy, a strong bullpen, great defense, great offense, you know, and, and get over the fact that there's not going to be fans in the stands, but you're going to be playing for something. But I, I think there's some things that were left on the table. That, uh, that that could have been resolved, especially in postseason, because right now, unless uh, things happen miraculously that they're going to be fans of stands, players are going to be playing in October for nothing. I mean, they're playing for the ring, obviously, a world championship ring, but postseason shares are based on the gate, how many people are in the seats. And at this point right now, that's not going to be happening. So a lot of things left there, but uh, I, I just think the biggest thing that, it could have been done earlier. They could have come to some agreement. Uh, and, and once the CDC and, and, and various states uh, said, okay, we can play, then it should have been at the point of said, okay, here's the timetable. Let's get it going and play more games than what they're going to play right now. You know, and Ray, to me, whenever it's a level playing field, I, I, I hate when people go, oh, it's going to be an asterisk. I don't, everybody's got to play yeah. six games. This is the same. You know, you go back to 1981, you know, the Dodgers are still the champions. They got the ring. So whoever wins this, everybody everybody had to play like this, and that's just the way it is. Let's go. No, absolutely. And I think, yeah, I think it is the fact that they're going to play 60 games. Everybody will play 60. And I think we're all waiting, and unless you know something that I don't know, uh, as far as the schedule, but it looks like the, it's going to be the 10 teams in the West, the Central, and the East, and, uh, you know, then the interleague play accordingly. But uh, it will be the 60 games for everybody. Um, interesting, Tony, I saw today that um, after 60 games, uh, there was a period of time, Tony Clark, who's the executive director of the Players Association, had 13 home runs after 60 games. And basically, that would have been leading the league. There are going to be a lot of uh, numbers that aren't going to be there uh, that we would have seen throughout a 162-game schedule. But, again, everybody's going to play the same number of games. There will be a world champion. Uh, Paul Hornings out of uh, Cleveland wrote a notice that, of course, he's talking about the Indians uh, ending their uh, 72 years of uh, frustration and not winning world championship, that he said he can envision uh, Francisco Lindor getting a base hit to win the game, but nobody to celebrate because there's nobody in the stands and you can't high five, you can't hug, you can't do all of those things. So it's going to be different. But, you know, uh, again, Tony, we talked about how in 1989, the unfortunate earthquake that occurred in the Bay Area, a devastation for the, the, you know, the whole Bay Area 
and the A's and the Giants play in the World Series, uh, there were a lot of changes because of that. And then not the distancing, the social distancing and all that, but uh, a lot of the celebrations, you don't want to do that. And I'm sure that's going to be comparable this year uh, with regard to October baseball. But it looks like, and again, unless something happens between now and when the season actually begins, that it's going to be 10 teams um, or, or, or 12, I guess, or maybe, no, I guess you'd, you'd have um, you'd have the three division winners and then two wild cards. Yeah, so 10 teams from each league. Uh, so I, I, or I don't know how they're going to do that because now they have three divisions. So, but basically, it's not an expanded playoff system that they were trying to negotiate uh, from what I understood. So unless that happens too, um, Tony, correct me again if I'm wrong, because I have read that negotiations can continue between now or when spring training technically begins uh, 2.0 on July 1st until the beginning of the season, that they can continue to negotiate on some of the parts. Is that true? Yeah, you can. I mean, not, nothing's set in stone. I mean, yeah, we, sure. heard, we heard when they first agreed that there wouldn't be the universal DH. Now there is going to be the universal DH. So, uh, yeah, right. they, you, you, you can keep talking through the whole thing. They just, I mean, let's face it. Guys knew, hey, I, I still want to make some kind of money. You know, Thank that's, you. Yes. you know, like Tony Clark can sit there and, and finally, you know, players can be like, hey, I, I know I'm not getting all my salary, but I rather, you know, I rather get something than nothing. <laughs> something is something and nothing is nothing, right, Tony? I mean, that's basically the way the way it is. And I, I agree because, you know, and I think the unfortunate thing, there was going to be some of the money that was forgiven that the players were given up front uh, during that, what, first couple of months of the April, May that there was no baseball. But, you know, in the negotiations, uh, you're going to have some players really not playing for a lot, if anything. And then if you get to postseason and no fans in the stands, so, you know, it would behoove the players, regardless of what they're getting, to play the game because next year in 21, let's hope and pray that we're back to normal, to where fans are in the stands. Uh, free agents are free agents, and, and players are arbitration eligible. Some are not. Uh, but if they have another year of service under the belt, and they need to play because, like we talked to, 18 months is a long time between the time you play an actual game until uh, you start another one. And at least they're going to play 60, and those teams that participate in postseason can play longer. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens in winter baseball, too. Maybe some guys will be trying to play winter baseball to make up for what they're not getting now and, um, and be ready even more so when spring training comes around in 21. I've got a feeling with this August 31st trade yeah. deadline, we're going to see some salary dumps. Uh, I agree. I, I think Lindor, who you just you just talked about, Arenado in Colorado. I think there's going to be teams that are going to they're going to try and get rid of contracts. They're going to try and go lean and mean. You know, I agree with you, Tony, and and I agree also that's going to carry forward into the uh, off season and the signing of free agents and contracts. And uh, you know, many years ago in the '80s, there was something called collusion. That's not going to be the case now because. How can you expect an owner who is not making money, who is losing money technically, go out and spend a fortune on a free agent? And, you know, there are some that can because of certain circumstances that they might have. But I think the game is going to change, especially once it begins through the offseason next year. And let's hope it does get back, because at least if it gets back to normalcy next year with fans in the stands, 
everything is back to normal, then then you can look at that. But I agree with you with the uh, the deadline now, August 31st versus July 31st. Um, clubs are going to look and, and back to your original point about getting off to a good start and not losing games uh, to put yourself in a deep hole trying to get out of it with only 60 games to be played all season. That, to me, is something that the owners, general managers, are going to consider come August 31st. Yeah, and, and isn't it great, Ray? We got the Astros who won 107 games, and now we get to add the Dodgers to uh, our schedule who won 106. <laughs> no, that, that, that is amazing. But, uh, you know, I, I think it has to be done this way. And, and I know from the broadcaster standpoint, uh, all the games are going to broadcast from the Coliseum home and away and no traveling because it's just, first of all, I can't travel on the, the charters and, you know, that's kind of the way it's going to be, but it does change the division alignment to where, uh, you know, in, in the past with the interleague play, it rotates by division each year, every year for three years, but uh, it, it's, it's changed considerably for the 60 games that are going to be played uh, this year. And, you know, it, it, it's different, but, Boy, I just wish it could have all been done to, you know, maybe play more games uh, and be able to eventually get fans to stand. We don't know how that's going to work out, but uh, at least at this point, baseball is coming back. That, to me, is the most important thing. Yeah, I can't wait to have it back. And we were going over all the slow starts all these years. It didn't matter if it's Art Howe, it's Ken Maka, it's Bob Melvin, uh, you know, the big three, Giambi, Tejada, Armando, uh, <laughs> Yelena, Cespedes, uh, you know. I mean, what is it, Ray, for the last 20 years, for the most part, the A's after 60 games are usually under 500 or just right around 500? Why is that? I've, I've felt, Tony, personally, and again, it's strictly my opinion, that because the turnover personnel, not only with the A's, but a lot of teams, but it just seems like, and again, I go back to 2012. Remember when Bob Melvin and, and the team went to Japan and he said how much that helped the team because there were a lot of new players, it seemed, that really didn't know each other. But that trip to Tokyo to start the season, a week, to flying on the plane, spending a week in Tokyo, playing the three games or, or two games and then the exhibition games, he felt that, or, or at least felt that, that they got somewhat familiar with each other. And I think over time, and, and I could be wrong. Uh, it's, again, it's just my opinion, but I think it takes time. And, you know, we, we've talked about like the, the Dodgers when they had that infield, the, the Orioles had their infield. When you could put a team out and you may make uh, a few changes, you may add or subtract two or three players, you have the bulk of the team together. So everybody's familiar with each other. And, and I think for some reason that if you have a personnel turnover, that it takes a little while. And, and the good thing about the A's this year in 2020, based on what they've done the last couple of years, you look around the infield, the outfield, the pitching, you're not seeing a lot of turnover. You're seeing somewhat of the same players. So I think in that regard, that is something that could help the A's in 2020, considering it's going to be a 60-game schedule. And I, I just believe that uh, it, it's going to be a special time. And, and I, I – Again, mentioned 1989, no celebrations because of the devastating earthquake. It's going to be something similar for the world champion in 2020, and it is going to be a world champion uh, and unless something happens with the virus that it comes back and then they have to somehow, uh, unfortunately, uh, cancel the season because of it. But if, if, you, if 
all teams could play 60. They can get the postseason games in. I think going into the offseason, while there may be a difference in the way players and teams are negotiating contracts for the future, that might be different. But at least having two months of regular season baseball, postseason, I think at that point, people can forget about what has transpired in the first four months of what should have been the 2020 season. I will never forget being in Japan and I'm in the media room atop the Otani hotel to use the phone, uh, to call home and talk to my kids. And I remember I'm in the corner and Ray Fossey walks in and there's that guy. And I don't know what you guys were talking about, but I could tell the conversation didn't go great. And when I got off the phone, I went up to the guy and I'm like, you know who that is, right? And I, that's Ray Fossey, two-time World Series champion. He went, oh, my God. I'll never forget that. I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I'll never forget that. Oh, Tony, I, I hate to say it, but I don't remember it. But uh, I, I don't know what it might have been, but uh, I've never been one to tell anybody who I am, what I've done in the past, because most people could care less. But, uh, you know, it, it was an interesting trip. I'd never been to Tokyo. It was great to see. The, uh, the, the the games played in Tokyo, the Tokyo Dome. And, and again, they started up, haven't they, uh, mid-June, like June 19th, didn't they start? And they, from what I heard, that their commissioner uh, was going to allow fans to be in the stands. And you could see, and, and when we saw the excitement of the, the fans cheering and the bands and all that going on at the Tokyo Dome, that was pretty special. But, uh, I, I again, I enjoyed it. It was a special time. And I think from the A standpoint, playing the season the way they did, finishing – Game 162 and beating the Rangers and winning the division one day in first place was the final day of the season. That was a very, very special season. Um, but I'm glad uh, you were able to get through and talk to your kids and your wife during that uh, conversation. So I wish we could have bands like they do in Japan. I know. So, so, so people, you understand, each team has a band and each player has his own song. So when the yeah. player comes up, they start. I'm like, it, it, it's entertaining as hell. You know, I, I took out my phone and videotaped it, and, and I look at that on occasion. Uh, it is it is great because of the cheering, and I, I agree with you. You know, the, the A's have a great fan base. They have the right field uh, bleacher guys down and, and girls and ladies that, uh, that cheer in the left field kind of the same way, and they have that constant banging on the drums and things like that. But to your point about an actual band and a cheering section, it, it's there, and uh, – when a certain player comes up, we have walk-up music here. They have walk-up bands that play the songs. <laughs> you know, and, and you're right. It, it's an experience that, uh, that that you you leave there and say, wow, you know, this is unbelievable. But, you know, as a player, and I always think about people talking about the World Series. They say, oh, all those people and, you know, 49, 50,000 people in the stands watching. And what are you thinking about? You don't think as a player – about anything except the game of baseball. You know, your surroundings are, are almost non-existent. And I think to some degree that can help the players in this 60-game schedule if no fans are allowed in the stands. I think that's something that if they get immersed in what they're trying to accomplish, hit the ball, catch the ball, pitch, and do those things, yeah, it's going to be different. But I think the bottom line, when it's all said and done, they're going to play the game just as if, there's people in the stands, but, but I think the fact that as a player, you do kind of erase everything that's around you, concentrate on what you're doing and when everything is done. And actually probably when you watch the games on a replay and you hear and see the reaction of the fans, then you might think about it. But as a player, I know 
I didn't even think about it one bit. It was a matter of who, who was pitching on our team, what I was trying to do to help get the other team out, and then trying to score enough runs to win the game and then be world champion. And I, and I think that in itself is going to help the players in this uh, upcoming season. Now, I don't know what the number is that Mookie Betts turned down. I believe it was north of $200 million. Yep. Um, is he going to regret turning that down? Teddy, I think what's going to happen, and the A's have their own Marcus Simeon, uh, who's in a similar situation due to make some, some very good money this year to be a free agent next year. I think you're going to see guys who uh, are going to play their 60 games and instead of testing the market, maybe play, assuming there'll be a full season next year. Remember, again, Adrian Beltre did it when he left Seattle. He went to Boston for one year, capitalized on a great season with the Red Sox, signed a five-year contract with the, uh, the Rangers, spent the rest of his career there. I just think there are certain players, Mookie Betts uh, in particular, I think, because as a, as a team, as an owner, you look at 60 games versus 162, and you can think about what a player has done throughout his career, five years for Mookie Betts in this case. He's been a phenomenal player. He's been a world champion. And, but, you know, now you look at 60 games, and maybe his numbers aren't what they would have been with 162 games. And I, I just think you might see some players saying, uh, you know, I'm going to stay, in his case, with the Dodgers and maybe Marcus Simeon with the A's played another year still, you know, on a one-year contract. And um, I think it's an arbitration at that point. And, you know, you, you played the season and then think about the, uh, the, po or the, um, the free agency after a full season and not a 60 game. And, yeah, and, you know, Lindor's turned out a lot of money as well. And like Mookie Betts. And uh, I don't know what Marcus Simeon, if the A's have been talking to him, but uh, I know Lindor was offered a very, very good contract to extend his. Uh, you know, we saw what Arenado got extending with the uh, with the Rockies. But, you know, they're, they're going to be the August 31st, man. I can't agree with you more as far as what might be happening at that point with teams that have some huge contracts, and especially guys that, you know, that they think they're going to be losing anyway, free agency, like Lindor. Um, I think he has, what, this year, next year, and he's a free agent after 21. And if that's the case, where Betts is a free agent after this year, as is EA's Marcus Simeon, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I just think it's going to be different for the players and their agents to think about what they want to do. And, uh, yeah, a lot of money they turned down, and I'm sure they're hoping they don't re regret it. You know, and I can see the Dodgers, who have a ton of money, because their, yes, their TV contract's so outrageous. All right, yep. Lindor, come on down, Lindor, play shortstop. And then... <laughs> Then, then we're going to get either Arnado or Chris Bryant to play third, re-sign Bets, <laughs> and now all of a sudden, every guy, the whole team's an all-star team. Yeah, yeah, it, isn't it amazing? But the, the great thing about this great game of baseball, Tony, you can have an all-star at every position that does not guarantee winning. We have seen teams attempt to buy a winner, buy a world champion. It doesn't always mean that. And, and you know, I, I don't know what it is about the game, but it, it's just something that, whether a team that's facing a team of all-stars, they play up a little bit better, a little bit stronger, but uh, there's nothing guaranteed in life, obviously not guaranteed in baseball, and what might be paid works out beneficially for the individual player, but from the team standpoint, you know, maybe it doesn't work out as much because, you know, it, it's, it's one thing. Well, look, look at the Yankees. I think over a course of, uh, what, 10 years, they spent over $2 billion in salary and never won a world championship over $2 billion. So 
you know, that they had a quality team, but they didn't win a world championship having spent that kind of money in that 10 year period of time. And so again, I, I just, I think it's great for the players that they can get those contracts, but it does not guarantee that the team is going to be walking away with a world championship. There's going to be an outlier that makes this postseason, maybe even a couple. There's, there's going to be some team that we thought was going to be brutal, and they're not, now they're going to be competing for a championship. Tony, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about that. And, and I, you know, I, I think right now about the Seattle Mariners, who the A's could not beat in the early part of the season last year. Look where they finished, the, the Mariners. And so if, if you're able to get off to good start, and, and I know there are writers who are writing it, and I believe strongly that there are some teams that, that maybe are going to get off to a good start and be the team that you're talking about. And let's not forget a guy like Justin Verlander, who had a groin injury. He's going to be back 100%. Um, across the Bay of the Giants, uh, Sandoval, is, you know, he's going to be okay. Um, who else am I thinking about? Oh, Aaron Judge. He was supposed to be ready to play in August. So, you know, there are players – who under normal circumstances would not have been able to play due to an injury because of this unfortunate shutdown, they've been getting well, and those teams are going to be benefiting from those players coming back healthy. But uh, I, I agree. I think there's going to be – you know, if, if I were one of the 30 teams that may be going into the season and say we don't have a chance, this is much different. And, and it's an opportunity for you can do something as a team that's very special in a shortened season, a much shortened season, that you might not be able to do in a regular season. And I was thinking about the Mariners, the Seattle Mariners, because what they did against the A's in Tokyo and coming back to start the season, the A's, for some reason, could not beat them. Slow start from the A's, great start by the Mariners, and the A's ended up winning and, and going to postseason, whereas the, uh, the Mariners did not. But in a shortened 60-game schedule, that could change dramatically. And, and to your point, somebody could come out on top because of the way they get off to a good start. So let's hope that, you know, I go back to Tony La Russa when he, he managed those teams, uh, especially in the late 80s, when they went to the World Series three consecutive years. His mantra was, guys, let's get off to a good start, have a great April, get off to a great start, let everybody try to chase us the rest of the season. And I think from the A standpoint, as we're talking about them specifically today, that the A's, once the season began, get off to a good start, let the other teams in the division chase them. And if that's the case, then that would be the best part. And going back to what I originally said about the team coming back, you know, with Olsen second base is probably the only infield position that, and, and with the, uh, the 30-man roster down to 28, down to 26, I think that's going to help the A's decide who's going to be the second baseman. But then you have Marcus at short, Chapman at third. You got Murphy behind the plate and then the outfield. You've got guys who can play and are healthy and can play every day. And, you know, even Steven Piscotti, he was injured. He was going to start the season on the I.L. Uh, so he's going to be able to come back strongly. So the team itself is going to be good, and I think that's going to help them get off to a good start because they have the main ingredients to be successful, pitching, defense, and enough offense to score runs to win ballgames. Let's end on this. When you were in Cleveland, you knew you were out of it by the first game. <laughs> <laughs> would any of your Indians teams have a shot in a 60 game schedule? Yes, I, I believe that because while we knew over the course of a long season, we were going to lose, but in a short season, there is always a possibility. And yes, we, there were some teams that I played on that it could have been much different, at least competitive 
And now with the second wild card, you know, that adds another team. So, yeah, I, I, I believe that could have happened. But over the course of 162, no way. And that's why, <laughs> you know, that's why I had my uh, great teammate who told me, he said, you know, you want to play as a team, but you better think about it individually because when the team loses and finish in last place, when you try to negotiate the next year, it's going to be based on what you did individually. And those years were done prior to arbitration and free agency. So you know how that went anyway. But, uh, no, it, it, it's, uh, it is going to be a different time. But I think, Tony, the most important thing, the owners, players came to an agreement. And let's hope that everybody can get, come back and be able to play. And let's hope the virus goes away. And, uh, you know, of course, with the Phillies happening there and with the Rockies, a couple of players, um, you know, you know, it's probably going to happen. But bottom line, let's just hope and pray that baseball comes back and play the 60 and postseason and then see what happens in the offseason and, and really be able to start 21 as if it's a normal season. Fossey, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week. You're the best, Tony. Best to Cody the Commander, and look forward to seeing you in person very shortly. Thank you, my friend. No doubt. Take care, Ray. The great Ray Fossey. Every single Wednesday, you get a half hour of Fossey. Coming up next, Super A's fan from MLB Network and ESPN, Matt Vasgersian will join us right here on A's Cast Live. You don't need to understand how available adaptive variable suspension works or how pre-collision cameras detect pedestrians in low light. You don't need to understand any of the craft that went into the Lexus ES to feel it. With outstanding connectivity and standard Lexus Safety System Plus 2.0, experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. LSS Plus 2.0 and the pre-collision system with pedestrian detection are not a substitute for safe and attentive driving practices. See owner's manual for additional limitations and details. Here's what we want everyone to do. Count all the hugs you haven't given, all the hands you haven't held, all the dinners you didn't share with friends, the trips you haven't taken. Keep track of them. Each one means one less person vulnerable, one less person exposed, and one step closer to a healthier community. So for now, keep your distance, but don't lose count. We'll have some catching up to do. Kaiser Permanente, thrive. 2002 Cy Young Award winner Barry Zito was on A's Cast Live and explained the relationship he had with Tim Hudson and Mark Mulder. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty cool. I mean, you know, I wish I had more perspective at the time. I, I didn't really know much different. I mean, right when I came up, Mulder and Huddy were already there. You know, Huddy had come up in 99 and Mulder and I played AAA together for a little bit. And he came up about three or four months before me. And so we kind of already had that kinship, even just in spring training and uh, and you know, playing in the minor leagues together. Uh, but when it all kind of gelled together in the big leagues and, and our performances, you know, cumulatively were were getting things done on the field. I mean, it it was it was really interesting to see that whole thing kind of evolve into the big three, as they called it. You know, because we were just kind of three kids coming up. It was cool and it was different because we were totally different guys. You know, Mulder was a Chicago guy, kind of a a natural athlete could do anything and Huddy was you know this scrappy kind of you know not super big and um, you know I watched Huddy play in the College World Series on TV in 97 and so you know we just all had these crazy different backgrounds and uh, that's what's cool about sports you know you can get guys from really all over the world and they come together and they do special things uh, as a team. To hear the full interview and much more go to athletics.com slash podcasts.
COVID-19 is more than a health crisis. It's a financial crisis for many California families. In this moment, you shouldn't have to worry about keeping the lights on. That's why at PG&E, we want you to know about our programs to reduce bills for customers facing economic hardship, that we've suspended all disconnections because of non-payment, and we can help you save money by using less energy. To learn more, visit safetyactioncenter.pge.com. Hi, I'm Kathy Adams, president of the Oakland African American Chamber of Commerce. As the impact of COVID-19 grows, OAACC believes it is important that the African American community hears directly from us in regards to mitigation efforts you may enact it to reduce the risk to your family and loved ones. Recent data reveals African Americans are dying from COVID-19 at disproportionate rates than other groups. Experts cite diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, and lung disease as factors. It is imperative that we institute safeguard measures listed on the OAACC website. We will be conducting virtual forums with African-American experts sharing how we must conduct ourselves during this pandemic. OAACC has taken up the mantle to be caretakers for our community. Visit us at OAACC.org. Where will you go first? Will it be familiar streets? Or perhaps unknown roads? Wherever you may go, Lexus will welcome you back with exceptional offers on exceptional vehicles. Find out all the ways a Lexus can be yours at Lexus.com. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, this is Sean Manaya. Sean Manaya has no hit the Red Sox. And you're listening to A's Cast, your 24-7 destination for A's baseball. Boom. 24-7. Well, we know what a big A's fan Matt Vaskersian is. So we wanted to bring him on today to talk a little bit about baseball coming back, how great that is. Uh, 1989, we've been celebrating the 1989 World Series champions. Here is, he's one of the most talented guys in our business. Here is Matt Vaskersian. Well, it is always special when we bring the pride of Moraga, USC, MLB <laughs> Network, ESPN on Cast Live because we know what a big A's fan he is and it's going to be great to hear his voice as that's been one of the things we've wanted to do here on A's Cast Live is bring on familiar voices. And, Matt, it is great to hear yours. How have you been? Chris, uh, good, man. Good to visit with you, as always. And I am in a lot better spirits right now at this hour than I was two, three, 30, 60 days ago when we just didn't know what was going to happen. So, look, it. It wasn't the agreed-upon deal that I was hoping for because I was really hoping for expanded playoffs this year, but just the fact that there's going to be 60 games, um, I, I am thrilled. I think it's going to be pretty fun. Yeah, I, it, it, you know, we're so used to it, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Not anymore, baby. This is a sprint to the finish line, and 
you know, for these A's players, it was one of the things I talked a lot about with these guys down at spring training was how important it is to get off to a good start because we just saw Houston win 107 games. And now you're talking about the West playing each other. That that brings into the, the Dodgers and their 106 wins. Uh, it, it's it, it's it, it's so important that if you're going to have any shot at being one of these postseason teams, you have to get off to a good start and you can't have any hiccups. There's no doubt. I mean, look, and, you know, look, look only as far back as last year to the wonky start the Nationals got off to. And in a 60 game season, the Nationals don't even go to the playoffs and they ended up winning the World Series, as we know. And, and conversely, you know, their teams had started out in real good shape. And then after the 60 game poll, they petered like uh, the, the 2011 Red Sox that that um, on that very fateful last day of the season had that horrible come-from-ahead loss to the Orioles. Uh, they started out in real good shape and looked like a juggernaut and then faded. So I think we as fans need to be prepared for two different types of interrupters. The, the good team that can't find its footing through 60 games and the team that nobody thought was going to be competitive that catches lightning in a bottle that ruins the party by, you know, by crashing the, the plans. And you know, are the Marlins going to be a good team this year? I don't think so. But in a 60-game sprint, as you very appropriately called it, crazier things have happened than a bad team or what we thought to be a bad team getting hot. You know, I, I remember being in Texas last year when we are taking on the Rangers, and, you know, they had a better record than we did at one point. So it's like, but this is, uh, I'm seeing from CBS Sports, uh, I just got this notification, as as you know, Matt, every state, every county, every, everything's different around the country. But uh, Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, I guess has been talking about possibly having fans at Astros and Rangers games. I mean, they'd space them out, but, you know, up here, that's not going to happen in Oakland and San Francisco. How about that? Potentially having some fans in Texas. Yeah, I saw that same note, and I guess uh, the governor kind of gave this passive type of blessing, if you will, for all sports venues, and I I, I spoke to somebody down there today about that. Uh, The thought is that he's trying to clear the deck as much as possible for football, which, as we know, is the the lifeblood of the Lone Star State, high school football in particular, college football with so many different uh, divisions and levels of college football played in Texas. So if he can clear uh, the Astros and Rangers, and then maybe subsequently the Rockets and 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 maybe the Mavs, uh, he can blaze a trail, if you will, for getting football cleared for fans. I, you know, again, I only care about my game at this point, uh, our game, that's baseball, and I do agree with you that um, it, regardless of what Texas does. It sure doesn't mean that California is going to open up the fans. And I I guess we'd have to be prepared for it all year long, even through the postseason. But my hope is that by the postseason, there can be some kind of a fan attendance quotient in the ballparks. Because I talked to Kevin Cash today, the manager of the Rays, and I asked him point blank, like, when does it feel normal to play with no fans in a 60-game season? He said never. It's not going to feel normal at any point. So what that does to the the intensity level, to the way the product plays on the field, remains to be seen. It could make some players better. It could make some players worse. That's why this is going to be so fascinating to watch. 
Yeah, working for the Raiders for years and traveling with them, um, I, I, I'm going to believe football is going to play when I see the ball kicked off. So I, I don't have a lot of faith in seeing football. We'll, we'll see yeah. about that. Um, thinking about, you know, going forward here, whether it's Cash or it's Bob Melvin, the way you're going to manage in 60 games versus 162, and you got a little more wiggle room with rosters, just what do you think the mentality will be like for a manager where, you know, there's sometimes where you understand you're going to lose, but in 60 games, you're going to feel that pressure to have to win every single game. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think we can only equate this to like when you're playing in September um, only without the expanded rosters. And that is to say, there's just a lot shorter leash for, for players and uh and, and I guess elements of somebody's game to come around. In other words, guy starts slow out of the gate. Uh, you, you just don't have, you can't be afforded that time to let him quote figured out, right? You got to make a move. You got to get another body in there. That's going to be more productive. So if one, one of the guys that you're counting on, so let's take the A's for example. And the A's have not been, as you know, better than anybody, Chris, the A's have not been good starters the last few years, as good as those teams have ended up being. Aprils and Mays have not been when they make their hay. They get going in June. It's usually like a weird circumstance, like a seven-game road trip to Cleveland and Detroit, and they take off, right? They don't have that, that luxury uh, at this point. And, you know, maybe it's not the beginning of a season. Maybe it's the weather pattern. Maybe it's the marine layer. Maybe it's the air at the Coliseum. Who knows? But I, you don't have a chance to wait around and watch guys get hot you have to make sure you're pushing all the right buttons right now and you know they did bump the trading deadline back the trading deadline is august 31st so you'll have about five and a half six weeks of games before an actual hard trading deadline comes around uh the taxi squad component is going to be interesting because each team is going to have a 20 to 30 men taxi squad which is is in, in a best case scenario is located someplace near the big league city so you can have access to those players and get them up as quickly as possible. So for a team like the Toronto Blue Jays that has extended spring training in Dunedin, Florida, in another country, that's not ideal. Uh, and, and for the A's, uh, their AAA situation isn't as bad, but, boy, in a, in a best-case scenario, you'd have your taxi squad at Laney College, and you'd be able to call a guy and get him in the game by the third inning if you needed him. Yeah, I mean, you could also put him down, you know, Stockton Ports is not too far away. So uh, that, that'll be something that's a positive for the A's is they, they'll have many options to keep their guys close. Uh, you know, back to the slow starts. I've been asking this for years because, Matt, you can go all the way back to Art Howe, Ken Maka, uh, you know, Giambi Tejada, the big three. It's like ever since the early 2000s and all the way to now when the A's have had good teams, they've always gotten off to slow starts, and nobody has an answer. Yeah, it is weird, man. And I, I, I don't know. It, this almost sounds like an amateurish thing to say, and maybe it is, but I do believe that weather plays a role in some of this. And I, I know that uh, the years I spent in San Diego with the Padres, when they moved into Petco Park, even in the Qualcomm Stadium days, you know, the June gloom and the May gray are very real things in San Diego County, especially when you're closer to the coast as Petco Park is. 
And once the midsummer months come and the weather changes a little bit, I don't. Sometimes that just changes the way uh, play is affected, and I, I don't know if that's the case with the A's. I, I mean, I know it's not for lack of effort and uh, and discussion, because I'm sure that the very bright people that run the club are more painfully aware of this than anybody that they have not started out great. One of those starts this year, and you're on the outside looking in. Again, there's no room for a slow start this year. How are you guys going to cover? these players that say, you know what, I'm going to sit this one out. I'm, I'm a free agent or I'm a young guy, not making a whole lot of money. Now we already got paid. I got a bulky elbow or shoulder. How do you think MLB network will cover these guys? Yeah, it's interesting. I really haven't thought about that. I know that there've been a handful of NBA players who've already said they're not going to play. Um, I do not anticipate a big number of players in baseball at all. I, I think the 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 overwhelming majority of players are raring to go. If there's a player that sits because of health concerns, and like you know, let's take one team for example on this discussion, Chris. Take the Dodgers for example. They've got a manager who is a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor. They've got a closer who's got a very real heart condition. They've got uh, no fewer than two members of the coaching staff who are over the age of 60, and and I don't even know about the rest of the traveling party, trainers, et cetera. So there are some high-risk people or higher-risk people that should they decide they want to sit, I don't think any of us should say anything about it if it's health. If, If it's a financial matter, to your earlier example, and a guy's entering a walk year and he feels like there's too much to lose and not enough to gain by playing this year, I think the way we'll handle it is just by forgetting about him. I mean, that he's choosing to be forgotten about by not playing. So I'm not going to judge anybody for it, but I, I wouldn't feel the need to mention your name at all if you're not out there. You know, we've been highlighting the 1989 Oakland Athletics, and we played the ALCS, playing the World Series, you know, against the Toronto Blue Jays, against the San Francisco Giants. I'm going to guess you were probably at USC at the time. That was my, that was my, I was out at that point. Yeah. I, uh, 89, uh, I remember watching that world series in my first post-college apartment, what constituted my first post-college apartment. <laughs> I got to think as an A's fan taking on the San Francisco giants, obviously the earthquake was horrific. Um, but winning the first two games and then going to candlestick park and sweeping the Giants as a kid who grew up here as an A's fan, what was that feeling like? It was pure joy because there was no team I hated as much as the Giants back then. And I, I you know, the, the characters on that team, and again, time heals all wounds. Like, I don't feel the same way about the, those Giants that I did back then. Um, but, you know, as a guy rooting on the other side of the bay, you didn't like Will Clark. You didn't like Roger Craig and the hum baby stuff. You didn't like Rick Russell. You just didn't like those guys uh, from, from Johnny Lamaster to Rob Thompson. I think Lamaster was gone by then, if I'm not mistaken. In fact, I think he was with the A's for a year or two after he left the Giants. But I, I just didn't like that team. And the A's handed them such a thorough butt kicking. It wasn't even a discussion. The only thing that kind of took the tarnish off of it, obviously, was the earthquake because – the, the national audience 
which dwindled when it became a regional matchup, they completely blew off games three and four. Like there were people, there were a lot of people back then remembering the dialogue that didn't even want the World Series to continue. Like they were like, just cancel it. No, A's have a 2-0 game lead. <laughs> no, we're not canceling it. So I think that A's team, as dominant as it was, never really got its full due, its proper appreciation, because the narrative in that World Series became the earthquake instead of, holy cow, the A's absolutely beat up on a pretty good Giants team and swept them. We had Will Clark on our last show, and he had nothing but total respect for for that A's team because he knew about the power. I mean, they were a good team, as you said, but, you know, the A's were rock stars. I mean, you bring in Ricky Henderson, Jose Canseco's date Madonna, Mark McGuire's a monster hitting home runs. <laughs> Dave Stewart is is got the scowl. You got Eck closing. I mean, this is truly one of the greatest baseball teams of all time. I'm with you. I mean, you got no argument for me on that. Every every component was there. Bench, bullpen, and that's you know that's when Tony had his system running at full gear with how to get the ball to Eck, and it became so easy to get the ball to Eck between you know the the Gene Nelsons and um, Oh, uh, Cataray, Greg Cataray was in that group. Rick Honeycutt was in that group. I mean, it became so easy because only an inning or two was asked of that middle bridge relief guy because you had, you had Stuart Moore Welch getting you six plus, if not more, every five days. Um, and then they, the fourth, fifth starter spots were kind of cobbled together yearly uh, piece, on a piecemeal basis. Remember Storm Davis having a really big year. With that vintage A's team, I don't think it was '89. I think it was the previous year. Storm Davis was good Kurt for them. Kurt Young. Kurt Young was great in '87, and I tell Kurt this all the time when I see him. In '87, he got into the All Star break in as good a shape as anybody to to be an All Star, and I'm convinced should have been there. And I think in '87 the game was in Oakland, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he and Mike Davis, who was one of my favorites, they should have been at the All Star game that year representing the A's at home. But back to '89, that team was dominant. Bench was great. Of course, Ricky coming back was was epic. But some of the uh, the quote unquote regulars on that team, Dave Henderson, who was one of my favorites, Carney Lansford, just so good to this day, still underappreciated how good he was. The only position that they turned over on those '80s dynasties with any regularity, for whatever reason, was second base. And uh, you know, it, it that spot kind of moved around from uh, Glenn Hubbard when they were building those teams. Um, uh, Tony Phillips played a lot of second base. He played a lot of everywhere back then. But with the exception of that position, you knew Steinbach was behind the plate. I mean, everybody was consistent. And, man, that team was good. It was just those are the best baseball fan days of my life. No question. Let's end on this. I've been asking everybody. You're doing a deep dive on something. I mean, whether it's Netflix, Hulu, books, games, puzzles, in your household during these times, what have you guys been doing? Oh, man. Chasing kids around? <laughs> really? I thought, beginning of this, I thought, oh, this will be fine. I got like three-ish weeks, get the house straightened up, clean out some drawers, maybe catch up on some reading. Uh you know, update the data entry that I keep on players and teams for the season. I did all that and I didn't accomplish much else. Like I didn't write the great American novel. I didn't, I didn't even get as far as, you know, Tiger King 
or any of the Netflix stuff that everybody grabbed onto. I didn't watch The Last Dance. I mean, my day was chasing kids around and then trying not to go nuts worrying about whether or not there'd be baseball. I wish I had a better answer for you, but that's the honest truth. Well, we've all been drinking a little more booze than normal. There's no question about that. (laughs) There's no question about that. I heard somebody go, God, I haven't drank this much since college. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if I drank this much in college. I mean, it's, yeah, it's that that glass of wine with dinner that turned into more. Um, yeah, and again, that kind of that kind of fed the paranoia over baseball not returning. You're just like, okay, I got to, you know, if, if the people that found stuff on Netflix and things to occupy their time, I tip my cap. I just never allowed for that. I'd watch an hour of garbage on Bravo, and then I'd you know, crawl into bed worrying about whether or not there was going to be baseball next day. Well, we are going to have baseball, and it's going to be great to see you on ESPN. It's going to be great to see you on MLB Network. We always appreciate the time. You know our fan base loves you. Be well, be safe chasing those kids, and we'll talk to you when the season starts. All right, Chris. Good talking to you, man. Glad to be back. Matt Vaskirgen, friend of the program. Uh, it was great to hear from him again. Now, I do want to bring this up. This isn't baseball-related, but it's Bay Area-related, and that's a big congratulations to Sharks general manager Doug Wilson, who will be going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's For what? The, well, I'm assuming as a player. I mean, he was a three-time All-Star. He won the Norris Trophy. He had 827 career points. He was the Sharks' first, career, Sharks first captain. He's been the GM of the Sharks since 2003. How many Stanley Cups have they won? Uh, they've been the one. I was there for every game. I was there for every game, too. How many have they won? Uh, that'd, that'd be a zero. Has there ever been a guy who's been in power longer than him without winning a championship? That is a great question. I have to, actually, I'd have to think about that. Well. He's been in charge for how long? He's been there since 03. All right. No, congratulations to him. He's a nice man. Um, Vest Gerson's good. It's always great to have him. This is going to be fascinating. It's crossing my fingers. I, I know the PGA Tour commissioner was going to talk because a couple guys have uh, tested positive. I mean, you have to know. It's just the way, you know, you just have to realize it's it's going to happen. But the good news is, for the most part, these young guys, they're not as as affected. And if a guy tests positive, quarantine him, and then you're going to have a taxi squad, or we'll have some type of name for it, and you bring one of those guys up. And these guys have to be smart about social distancing and what they do away from the field. Still to this point, I don't think anybody in the KBO has tested positive. Is that correct, Cody? From what I've seen, no. Not, nothing has happened in the KBO. They've been going on for, what, like two months now? I mean, they got broadcaster songs. They got stuffed animals in the crowd. Uh, lots been going on over in the KBO. But, no, I, from what I've seen, I haven't seen anything. And, and Fossey mentioned it. The uh, Japanese League started, I want to say they started last week or even a couple days ago. So they're back now, too. And uh, we'll see if them or the KBO adds fans in the stands like they expected. Because the KBO was talking about it at first like a month ago, I want to say, where they were going to do it like in small increments of like 20%, 35 and then 50 But I don't think they've started that just yet. 
All right, coming up next, it, it's a great conversation. He is a wonderful human being. He's it, it, so inspirational. The great Dave Dravecki is going to join us next right here on A's Cast Live. Here's what we want everyone to do. Count all the hugs you haven't given, all the hands you haven't held, all the dinners you didn't share with friends, the trips you haven't taken. Keep track of them. Each one means one less person vulnerable, one less person exposed, and one step closer to a healthier community. So for now, keep your distance, but don't lose count. We'll have some catching up to do. Kaiser Permanente. Thrive. COVID-19 is more than a health crisis. It's a financial crisis for many California families. In this moment, you shouldn't have to worry about keeping the lights on. That's why at PG&E, we want you to know about our programs to reduce bills for customers facing economic hardship, that we've suspended all disconnections because of non-payment, and we can help you save money by using less energy. To learn more, visit safetyactioncenter.pge.com. Right now, staying connected is more important than ever, and fast, reliable internet from Xfinity can help. We have plans to fit every budget, with speeds up to a gig, all at Xfinity.com. We'll ship you a self-install kit on us to make setup quick, safe, and easy. No tech visit required. And our simple digital tools will help you manage your account online. At Xfinity, we're committed to keeping you connected. Find great offers and value today at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. You don't need to understand how available adaptive variable suspension works or how pre-collision cameras detect pedestrians in low light. You don't need to understand any of the craft that went into the Lexus ES to feel it. With outstanding connectivity and standard Lexus Safety System Plus 2.0, experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. LSS Plus 2.0 and the pre-collision system with pedestrian detection are not a substitute for safe and attentive driving practices. See owner's manual for additional limitations and details. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. This is Chris Townsend for the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. During these horrific times, people still need to get food, and the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek does deliver. Give them a call at 925-322-8799. That's 925-322-8799. Don't forget, their world-famous chicken pie and also all the other pies that they have you can freeze and have for a long time. So give the pie shop in Walnut Creek a call. You call them at 925-322-8799. You can also get beer, wine, and spirits with your delivery. And you can check out the full menu, chickenpieshopwc.com. That's chickenpieshopwc.com. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN. When I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to A's Cast Live. Boom. Good day today. Got baseball coming back. Players going to report on July 1st. I mean, we still don't have all the information. But as Matt said, you know, there's going to be a taxi squad. You want to have them close to you. As he said, Laney College. I mean, heck, Berkeley. Didn't even think about that. Have him over at UC Berkeley. College baseball is not going to be around during this time. I mean, you could Stockton. 
it's going to be interesting to see how this, uh, what their overall plans are. Because let's face it, at one point we heard we're going to have universal DH. Now we are going to have universal DH. Are we for sure it's only going to be the West playing the West in LNAL? Are we for sure? I mean, it, it hasn't been formally announced, but that's what everyone's speculating where you're going to. And there's not, I mean, all we know is they've agreed. Yeah. Well, Tom Verducci, Tom Verducci yesterday was on MLB tonight whenever the announcement was we we're going to play games. And he brought up first the whole idea of playing 10, you know, the 10 times you play your division and then the four times against the geographic team, which would be the NL West. And he also mentioned for the Yankees, their, their 46 of their 60 games will be New York, Boston, and Washington, including Baltimore. It, that's like a train ride for them. You don't even have to get on a plane. No. I just did that train ride. Oh, and Philadelphia. Don't forget about that. So Philadelphia is right there too. I took the I, I took the train from Washington to Philly to New York. Yeah, you don't need air so, travel. So, what are we going to do about the Astros and the Rangers? Since they're part of the ALS, they'd be playing. They'd be playing out here. Is what it's. See, it's they what sh- people they are shouldn't saying. be. They should be playing in the Central. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about geography, now we finally get to t- have the real conversation. They're not in the West. They're in the Southwest. They're really in the Central. They're the Central Time Zone. It should be the Mariners, the A's, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Angels, the Padres. There you go. There's your six. Let everybody else figure it out. We don't care about them. <laughs> D-backs, we're shipping you. We're shipping you to the Central. Uh, but at least they're on Pacific time, though, for a while, for most of the year. Well, not all the year. <laughs> yeah, not all. Yeah. <laughs> Earlier today, it's such a treat. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but he's such a special man. Here is the great Dave Dravecki. Well, now joining us here on A's Cast Live is one of the most special guys this game has ever seen. What an inspiration he is and was a terrific pitcher back in the day. Uh, He remembers this World Series, uh, 1989. But uh, the great Dave Dravecki is with us once again. It's It's been a while since we last talked, but it's always an honor to have you on the program. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. It's a pleasure to talk to you. You know, I, I think about your career and now what you do for the San Francisco Giants. What is it like to be able to inspire so many different people? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a privilege and an honor. Um, to be perfectly honest with you, I was out of the game for so long that I never thought I'd ever get a chance to um, participate in the game. Um, like I'm doing today as an ambassador for the Giants. Um, it's been such a gift. Uh, the Giants were gracious enough to um, ask if I wanted to be a part of the organization as an ambassador and to represent uh, the ball club in the, in the Bay Area. And um, I, was, I was overwhelmed um, because I never thought there would be another opportunity to participate at any level with baseball. And so to do what I'm doing today and to spend time with the fans and to hopefully be an encouragement um, to people who have experienced similar things to me has just been a privilege and an honor. Yeah. After the surgery, you ended up becoming a motivational speaker. 
And that is just so powerful uh, when you get up on that stage and you're looking out to all those people and, and you're moving these people, you're helping these people. What has that been like your career as a motivational speaker? It's overwhelming because first of all, um, uh, just getting the privilege of being able to share my story with folks. Um, and, and I have to say, you know, I'll take a step back. Um, it's wonderful to be able to get in front of, you know, 500 people or 5,000 people or 150 people and share your story and encourage them. But one thing I've learned is that there are a lot of amazing stories out there. And whether you have the platform of many or just one-on-one, um, it's recognizing the power of your story to bring encouragement into the life of someone else. And so for me to be able to um, to travel the country for the last 30 years now telling my story, um, quite frankly, has just been overwhelming. It's been an awesome experience. I've traveled to places I would never go. And I met people that I would never have the privilege of meeting. And so I consider it an incredible blessing and a gift um, to be able to share this story. And, 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 and if I can encourage just one person, Chris, when I'm out there, then it's been worth it because um, that's what matters most to me. And how great is it? It looks like, where fingers are crossed, we're going to have baseball in 2020. <laughs> yes, I am so excited. I called my son this morning and we were talking about the fact that it's it's back on and Obviously, I know they have to work out some of the details as it relates to um, just uh, safety protocol and things of that nature, but I'm sure they'll be able to work that out and put in some safe parameters for the players and everybody else that's involved um, in this coming back. But I think it's so good for the fans. I think it's so good for our country. Um, We need this. I mean, it's America's greatest pastime. And to be able to, even if we just have to sit in our family rooms and watch, TV ratings are going to go off the charts because people are just longing for baseball to come back. And even if they can't get to the stadium, to watch their team on TV and to cheer them on um, is something that they have been waiting um, uh, very patiently for. And so I think it's a wonderful thing. And I'm so excited. Uh, I could care less all the dialogue around, well, it's only 60 games. I don't care. I just want to watch them play. I just want to see baseball again. And so I'm really fired up about it. Can you imagine as a pitcher, you're in a 60 game season and every game, I mean, you can't go on losing streaks. It, it, this thing's going to happen so fast. What do you think the pressure is going to be like on the pitchers? Cause <laughs> you, just, you just can't have a bad outing. Well, you know what? I think these guys are, I mean, they're, they're seasoned. And, and they understand um, what they're facing. And, and I think, um, I don't think the pressure is going to be any greater than it normally would be. I think where it's going to be difficult, and I've talked to Robbie Thompson about this and uh, a couple other guys. And, and one of the things that's different with a pitcher versus a, a regular player is getting that arm in shape, baseball shape, and ready to go out there and play. And so I think that's going to be an adjustment as they move along into the season and I don't know how many guys are going to be able to go very far, you know, out of the chute. And so um, it's going to be a different mentality. And, and so I don't know that the pressure is going to be 
greater than what it is on a normal day because these guys are really good about blocking things out and focusing on the zone and getting guys out and doing what they do best. So, you know, there may be some added pressure there, but I don't know how much they're going to feel it um, in relationship to once they cross the line and the umpire says play ball. Yeah, how about all these guys throwing 98 to 102 miles an hour? Can you imagine back in your day you throwing 100 miles an hour? <laughs> I only dream about it, Chris. I only dream about it. <laughs> I would. Like, it's, it's amazing. Like, yeah, it is. Every guy that comes up, I mean, every reliever we see coming up, Dave, they're blowing 100, 101, 102. It's crazy. Yeah, I am. I'm amazed at the at the strength of these kids. You know, and I think. One of the things that's happened in the game is, you know, when I played, we didn't have the science that the game has today and um, and the technology, you know, from equipment. I remembered, you know, uh, Norm Sherry running into the weight room, which was probably no bigger than a, a bathroom um, for the Giants because, you know, weights were so frowned upon. And he would stand there and watch the things that I would do just so I wouldn't get hurt. And, and it's changed so much because strength trainers and nutritionalists and chefs and all these things have changed in the game that have allowed these athletes to be stronger um, and, I, and I think better prepared um, it, it, from a physical standpoint in particular um, to go out there and play the game at a, at, a, at a high level. And so these kids that are blowing it 96 to 100 mile an hour it's so impressive. But the thing that is disconcerting to me in relationship to this or current concerning is that these kids go out and then they blow out. They literally blow out and they're ending up having significant surgeries, you know, and, and longevity in the game just isn't something that's talked about anymore. Yeah. You know, back in the day, I'm thinking like, you know, 1984, that Padre team you were on that went to the world series to take on, the Detroit Tigers, and you're thinking about guys like Goose Gossage. We talk a lot about Raleigh Fingers. You know, these weren't relievers that, you know, came in and just pitched one inning. Goose could come in and pitch two, three innings, and he was blowing, he was, he was blowing heat coming out of the bullpen. Oh my gosh. I mean, we were being teammates. Um, he was, he, he taught me so much about preparation, so much about um, in game. Um, uh, approach, uh, you know, I always asked him, why do you pitch so fast? <laughs> he said, because I don't want to take any time finding out what the result's going to be, Dave. He said, the bottom line is I want to see whether or not I'm going to succeed as soon as I can. And he said, the other thing is I know players play better behind me when my rhythm is quick versus slow, because now they're on their toes instead of their heels. And so, you know, it was, there were so many things that this guy was able to teach me. You know, Goose was one of those guys where, you know, I was a middle guy. So as a middle guy um, out of the pen for the Padres early on in my career, I wanted to be able to take the team two, three, sometimes four innings into the game when there was a bad start so that I could get it to the seventh or the eighth inning and Goose would come in and go two or three innings. I mean, that was the mentality. Because you knew that this guy was going to go out there and blow gas for three innings, not just for an inning or not just for a batter. And I, I think that's the difference. And, and I, don't, I, I don't know where all that falls into place scientifically or even with stats and all that kind of stuff, bud. But I got to tell you, 
he was one unique guy and an incredible relief pitcher and Raleigh fingers and Eckersley. So many of them, man, that, um, you know, uh, but yeah, those guys were, those guys were what we call gamers. You know, they went out there and they played hard and, and they were able to go two or three innings to get a save. Yeah. Before we get into the 1989 world series, you know, labor strife as a player. I, I, I think about you coming up in 1982. You come in right after the 1981 season, which was, that was crazy. It was two different halves. It was, it was an unreal year. And then there always seemed to be labor strife. What, what is it like going through that as a player when all you want to do is play? Well, it, it, it is difficult. Um, in 81, I was with the Amarillo Gold Sox. And I remember specifically Bobby Tolan coming down. And I wondered why he was there. And it was, it was around the strike. And so, um, you know, so, so we really didn't get in that year. I didn't get the feel of that as much because that year in Amarillo, Chris, um, our pitching staff, I mean, you know, we had a great team and our pitching staff, our starting rotation, the, uh, the record for complete games in the Texas league was uh, 46 by a staff of five starting pitchers. And that year with Eddie Watt, um, our manager at the helm, um, and Frankie George was our, uh, uh, assistant coach, um, we shattered that record as a pitching staff and had 64 complete games. Um, so our season was consumed by what we were doing, and we really weren't all that aware of what was going on strike-related. We knew what was happening, but, um, you know, we're, we're playing our season. And so even following the next year, I mean, I had no clue what had happened. I was oblivious to all of that. So here's this young kid who goes to AAA in 1982 in Hawaii. And I mean, my wife's pregnant, I'm going to become a dad. And then all of a sudden I get a phone call on June 8th of 1982 with Bob Cluck telling me I'm going to the big leagues. So my world's been wrapped up in just playing baseball and not being as aware. Um, now years later, I would act as the player rep. And so I got a little bit more involved in that stuff. And, and it was always a concern, you know, you never wanted there to be conflict between the players and the owners. And, and you always sat back and wondered, why can't we just, you know, why can't we get along? And yet at the same time, you know, the players were unified and, you know, uh, those were my experiences during that period of time in my career, but I never had the experience of actually being a part of um, an actual strike and recognizing or realizing what was going on with it. You talk about a small world, Bob Cluck. I used to go to the San Diego School of Baseball, and I actually went to school with his daughter, Jennifer. So you talk about a small <laughs> world, Bob Cluck. Uh, yeah. 1989, obviously you're hurt, but that was a terrific Giants team. Let's face it. You got Will Clark, Kevin Mitchell, Matt Williams. Uh, you had a terrific pitching staff, but you're going up against one of the most complete teams I think I've ever seen in my life the 1989 Oakland athletics. Yeah. Yeah. They were a great ball club. Um, you know, Mike Moore who won two games in that world series, um, uh, is a good friend. And I remember when the earthquake hit, uh, he and I literally were 
sprinting out to the parking lot side by side when we felt the earth, when the, felt the ground shaking. But um, yeah, we came up against a very, very good baseball club, a very complete club as you have defined it. And yet our ball club, you know, I think there was something very unique and something very special about the Giants. Um, we had a lot of talented guys on that team, but there was just something really special um, you know, I'm in the middle of reading Joan Ryan's book, Intangibles, and I got to tell you, um, she does a wonderful job of unlocking this whole idea of team chemistry and talks a lot about the 89 Giants and what that was like. And I've got to tell you, Chris, um, that was just something, even though I only participated in two games, there was something very special about that ball club throughout the whole year and even moving into the World Series against the A's. And I mean, we ran up against, uh, you know, the best team in baseball that year. And, uh, and you know, and, and they handed it to us and, and took it in four games. And, and uh, there's a lot of drama surrounding it with the earthquake and all those things. But still, uh, when you looked at that ball club and that lineup um, and what they were able to throw out there on the mound day in and day out, um, yeah, that was a very, very special club in the Oakland A's. I mean – just what it must have been like when that earthquake hits. I mean, just the fear and terror that goes through you. Well, yeah. I mean, I've got my wife in the stands. I've got my parents in the stands. I've, I've got my literary agent that's in the stands. And, and, you know, I had, I was just getting ready to sign a book contract with, with our first book comeback. And so all these people that I know, the publishers are there and, all these people are there and then the earth starts shaking and you're wondering, man, are we going to get out of this? Is everybody going to be okay? And, you know, and then you start seeing through what, what little news we could get um, about the Bay Bridge and then the Marina District being on fire. And, you know, all of a sudden, all these things start hitting you. And at first, you're almost in this state of denial, even though you've just experienced this thing shaking. And then reality hits and, it, and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is real. And then all of a sudden you begin to read and hear about the tragedies that are occurring as news trickles in. And now you're going, oh, my gosh, lives are at stake and lives are being lost. And and then the next thing you think about is my family. Oh, my gosh, my kids are not here. The babysitter's with them down in Foster City. And how are we going to get there? This is going to be a log jam. We're never going to get home. And so all these things are racing through your mind. And, and when they finally had, you know, canceled the game and, and we, we, we got ready, all of us got dressed and we started taking off for our families. It took two and a half hours from candlestick to get to foster city, which is what a 20 minute drive. And, and, and we're, we're, we're wondering and just praying, God, please don't let anything happen to our kids. And, and so fortunately, we get there and the entire way there, Chris, it was blacked out. And when we got to Foster City, the lights were on. And we pulled into the apartment and we checked the kids were fine. And the gal that was babysitting them said, yeah, we felt the earthquake and only a few things got knocked around in the apartment. But, um, you know, when they had, they had taken to the, the kids to the pool and when the earthquake hit, I guess it became a tidal wave in the pool. And there were a couple of men there 
and the kids were in the pool and they were struggling to get out, my daughter and my son. And this man came over and just grabbed them out of the water and, and saved them. Um, and so fortunately they were able to get out and then, you know, they waited until we got home and, you know, uh, you know, it, it, yeah, it was, it was just crazy. It was, it was, uh, it was surreal. I mean, you just, you're just sitting there with the world series and all of a sudden um, we've got this tragic thing that's happening. And, and uh, so it was really scary. It was really scary. Yeah. And it's not like you had a cell phone and you could call home. <laughs> you know, isn't that crazy? Yeah. We're talking about 19, we're talking about 1989. That was like 30 years or 31 years ago. That's not that long ago. And there were no cell phones. And now what kind of phones do we have? <laughs> I mean, we're walking around, we're walking around with things that, that actually, you know, you're talking about something and the next thing you know, there's an ad that pops up for the thing that you're talking about. You know, and you're wondering what in the world's going on? How did my phone know that I wanted to buy a, um, some bands to strengthen my arm? You know, so we've come a long way with technology, but man, back then, no way of communicating, which made it even worse because your fear level would go, you know, just jump a couple decibels higher and, uh, you know, just worrying about, you know, if everybody's okay. So, yeah, that was just a really crazy time. Dave, I can't thank you enough for coming on the program. You're an inspiration and everything that you do to, to help people have better lives. It's just something very, very special and continue the great work. And once we get baseball going again, we'd love to have you back on. Oh, I'd love to do that, Chris. I really would. And I'm really hoping that the A's finalize and get that stadium there. It will be so good for the city. And I love Bo Mel. He caught me. And I, I just think he's one of the best managers in the game. And I'm so excited for what's happening to the A's. So it's been wonderful talking to you, buddy. Be safe there in the city. and We'll talk soon. Okay. You take care. The great Dave Dravecki. That's a special man right there. And that was a good get, Cody. He's fascinating. Uh, we don't have a ton of time. So we, we're starting to, it's starting to trickle out what, what, what's going to happen here. Uh, for, so we are going to have, this is according to NBC news, we're extra innings with the extra base runner. So the guy that makes the last out in the ninth will now be on second base to start the 10th. Players who are not expected to get into that day's game. They've got to separate in the stands. Designated hitter, we've already talked about that in both leagues. East will not meet the West, it says. So, for example, the Yankees, 10 games will consist of four American League East teams, Red Sox, Rays, Orioles, Blue Jays. The other 20 will be against uh, National League opponents, Mets, Braves, Phillies, Marlins, Nationals. Everybody's going to have their home stadium without fans. So. More news starting to trickle out about what's going to be going on here in Major League Baseball. What's coming on after us, Cody? Well, I'll just do it without the music right now. Then we'll hit the music. So coming up next on Ace Cast is going to be, well, another A's victory. This time against, you guessed it, the Houston Astros once again. It's the A's 87th win of 2019 in Houston 3-2. Homer Bailey, remember him? He got his 13th win of the season going five and a third along one run. Liam Hendricks. 
On the A's, yeah. Uh, Homer Bailey was on the A's? Christian Bell's uh, doppelganger, Homer Bailey, was with the A's for, what, like three months. Uh, he went five and a third, allowed one run. Liam Hendricks got his 21st save of the season. Matt Olson hit his 32nd home run off of Justin Verlander as Verlander went six innings along three runs and striking out 11. And he fell to a cool 18-6 and six on the season. But also tonight on NBC Sports California, game three of the 89 World Series between the A's and the Giants. But uh, let's we can do one or two buying or selling. It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. So yesterday, yesterday, history was made on that date back in 2003 with Barry Bonds, as Barry Bonds stole a stole his seventh base of the season in extra innings against the Dodgers, and Eric Gagne, remember him? He was a pretty good closer. Bonds finished his career with 762 career home runs and 514 stolen bases. Now, he's the only member of the 500-500 club and, well, the only member of the 400-400 club as well. Bonds is one of eight guys who are in the 300-300 club, with the most recent being Carlos Baltron of the numerous teams, but most notably the Astros. Mike Trout has 285 career home runs and 200 career steals. The next guy who could come close is Mookie Betts, who has 139 home runs and 126 stolen bases. And then there's Ronald Acuna Jr., who's only entering his third season. Buying or selling, Mike Trout will be the last player to join the 300-300 club. I'll buy that. People just don't steal bases anymore. Yeah, that's why that was, that was my whole rationale behind it is uh, no one's stealing bases anymore, so it'd be hard for a guy to get in. Trout's only 100 stolen bases away and 15 home runs. I, I think he's going to get there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, they don't they they don't want you running. They don't want you running into outs. So last one, and this involves our, our, our guy, the Polar Bear, who is beloved in New York and, well, on Ace Cast Live. We love his home runs and his power, and he has a good personality. He also did something that rubbed one New York writer from the post the wrong way. That's Phil Mushnick. He, uh, so Pete Alonso last year put an F in the let's go Mets. And I'm sure you can uh, figure out what the F means before the GM and Mets. So the Mets first round pick used in the tweet already. There's been memorabilia made up with this since last year. Mushnick wrote a column in the post saying that Pete Alonso is a part of the sports growing vulgarity problem. He argued what happens if a kid asks his dad what the F stands for and how baseball's top priority is marketing to the kids. Well, if they want to know, check that demographic because uh, baseball's not catering to the kids if you look at uh, the age of people who are watching the games. Buying or selling, Pete Alonso is bad for Major League Baseball. I'm selling. I, I can't, He's not bad for Major League Baseball. Get out of here. I can't believe Get out of here. I can't believe that was an article in the New York Post talking well, about – Well, they had nothing to write about. Yeah, but to, 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 to criticize the guy that plays for our beloved Mets, I, I just I don't understand it. I mean, you're in New York. The guy hit 53 home runs. He made the Mets, along with Jacob Degrom, relevant last year. They won 86 games. and missed the playoffs. Uh, I'm curious to see what he does this year because they said the equivalent of hitting uh, 20 home runs uh, this or hitting 30 home runs is 11 or something like that. Or so. We'll see what happens in the 60-game season with Pete Alonso. Uh, I don't know if he's going to re- repeat as the home run champ. It'll be cool to see. So 
Um, that's all I have for today with buying or selling. We'll save the Padres Mariners question for another day, the 400 hitter for another day. So I'm going to go hit golf balls at center bar, center bar Hills. Oh, you're not coming over for wine Wednesday. No, I got, I gotta, I gotta go work on my swing. Cause I'm getting fitted for clubs tomorrow. I even forgot it was Wednesday. Oh, okay. Well, enjoy the, what time are you getting your clubs? What time are you get fitted for clubs? I think it's like 2.45 or oh, 2.30. Okay. All right. Remember, we're Tree for Ace fans on Friday. We're going to talk to the great Walt Weiss and Eck and a special guest that we'll reveal tomorrow night on Ace Cast, Twitter, Athletics Cast 24. Don't want to give it away, but fans will be excited to see who that is. All righty. Enjoy, everybody. We'll be back on Friday, Ace Cast Live from 1 to 4. Enjoy a victory by the A's over the Houston Astros next, right here on A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. Chevron and its brands are committed to reliably providing fuel to customers, even during an emergency. The safety and health of workers, customers, and the communities where Chevron operates are primary concerns. In Northern California, Chevron and Texaco stations are open for business, supplying quality fuels in a safe manner. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.